All your base are belong to us. Hello and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and this Barbie is a buzzkill. I'm Mary, I don't know what I am, and I guess I'm Midge. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Midge. And I'm Midge, but I guess at some point, I think I put uh, comments about this, at some point I have to to give birth, so. Um, Today we're talking about Barbie. Uh, this is going to be not part- just Midge, not just Midge. I'm just Midge. Uh, <laughs> I'm pregnant, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, this is actually going to be part one of our Barbie miniseries, I guess, because I had too much to fucking say. And our friend I knew you would. Yeah. Our friend made the brilliant suggestion that we split this into two episodes, Barbie and Ken, because one of the things I really want to talk about is masculinity. I think that masculinity is potentially where people might have a knee jerk reaction of why are they talking about masculinity? And that's why you should read The Will to Change by yeah. Bell Hooks. I have a feeling I mean, obviously, you haven't done that, that one yet. And I haven't read like a full done um, outline. But I have people who are going to have a knee jerk reaction. I might I think might have that knee-jerk reaction to why do we need to talk about the men? Yeah. Which we have to. Which they should listen and then they can find out. Yeah, we have to. Uh, so today we're going to focus on Barbie and a few different aspects to the film. There will be more in the next episode as well. It's not going to be just about Ken. Um, but a significant portion of the next episode will be about Ken. Because it's just Ken. Because he's so hot is the thing. It's, it, I think that like the most traumatizing thing Missy walked away with is finding out that she's attracted to Ryan Gosling. Somebody she has, ve- not vehemently, but has always said, I don't understand. I don't get it. And then, and then you, oh God, he's so hot in that movie. I specifically. Barbie is a 2023 film directed by Greta Gerwig and written by Gerwig and her partner Noah Baumbach. Uh, the film follows the title character, stereotypical Barbie, uh, who's played by Margot Robbie, who, despite living in the idyllic matriarchal world, sorry to discourse so early in mm-hmm. the outline, uh, who, despite living in the idyllic matriarchal world of Barbie land, begins to experience troubling thoughts of death and cellulite. On the advice of Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, she leaves Barbie Land, accompanied by a surprise Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, to find the child who is playing with her and filling her with such unwanted thoughts. It really sounded like Ken is surprise Ken. <laughs> well, <laughs> the way that you said it. Is he not? He's beach Ken. Uh, in the real world, she discovers that not everything is great and actually some people hate Barbie. How mean. Meanwhile, Ken <laughs> discovers that things are pretty great for men and returns to Barbie land to tell all the Kens about pa- about the patriarchy. Barbie ends up being captured by Mattel, who wants to literally put her in a box and reprogram her, but ends up discovered by Gloria, played by America Ferreira, the mother of the girl, Sasha, played by Ariana Greenblatt. Who was so, who so cruelly card, called Barbie a fascist. The three of them go back to Barbie land to get her away from Mattel and find it transformed into Kendom, ruined by, ru- sorry, run by Ken Ryan Gosling. It is ruined. And all the Barbies turned into the sort of mindless supportive girlfriends we expect from like, I don't know, 90s films about rowdy boys or something. I was trying to find something to compare it to and I was like, I can't think of anything. You know? Yeah. The men, what is it, the men show? That um, Jimmy Kimmel and the other dumb guy used to Joe Rogan. Yeah, I don't know. I have seen the Man Show, but the I don't. Mansion, I don't remember. Show. It starts out with girls jumping on trampolines. I thought that was how it ended. Oh, maybe it, it might end that way. 
I can't remember. It probably does both. Whatever. Um, Gloria manages to unbrainwash a handful of Barbies by giving a big speech about how being a woman is never good enough, and they conspire to unbrainwash the rest, then turn the Kens against one another. The Kens have a big battle, during which the Barbies (laughs) prevent them from signing a new constitution into law, and... Uh, supposedly agree to make things more equal in the future, but I've seen the movie twice now and apparently missed that both times. That was what one of the articles I read said, and I was like, I don't remember that. I I think it's just an assumption being made. I We should have watched. I, I really feel like it's an assumption being made because I also don't remember it. Yeah. But maybe it's just like a brief mention. I know they're like, maybe we'll put a man on the Supreme Court. And I'm, that's all I can think of. But maybe I missed I think, it. No, I think... Yeah, uh, I, I want to say that we're wrong because so many other people, but I do think that maybe there's a level of assumption happening. I, yeah, I wonder because people assume, oh, the women are wreck in charge. That must mean things are better because yeah. women in charge mean this, that, and this, and right. everybody's better off. Yeah. Um, if you feel that way, get buckle up. Buckle up. Uh, anyway, Barbie comforts Ken Ryan Gosling and says he just needs to create his own identity outside of being a Ken. Then she becomes a human and goes to a gynecology appointment. Um, the first thing that needs to be said about Barbie, it, the first section of this outline is just titled Discourse. Um, <laughs> so the first thing that needs to be said about Barbie is that it is literally impossible to talk about Barbie. You know that speech that Gloria gives in the movie about how it's impossible to be, to be a woman? <laughs> it's fucking impossible to talk about Barbie. Unfortunately, right-wing dipshits have seized upon the movie as emblematic of everything wrong with society, being the future liberals want, etc., which has resulted in people who like the movie feeling like any criticism of it is veiled sexism or misogyny. You're talking pretty fast, just so you know. Okay, sorry, I had coffee. I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading as you go, and I'm like... Whoa! <laughs> so you know you're talking a little fast. I'll slow down. You're usually really good. Um, and like the movie's fun, right? the The world is on fire. Don't I, we deserve yeah. a bit of escapist fun, Melissa? Yeah, Melissa. I I haven't laughed so much in a movie theater as I did when I saw Barbie. Yeah. Um, I fucking love the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. But we don't. But Missy's buzzkill. But I'm buzzkill Barbie. We don't critique media because we want to rain on your parade and make you feel miserable. As soon as this movie came out, I felt completely inundated, even before it came out, inundated with people calling it a feminist masterpiece and deeply subversive, et cetera, et cetera. And like, spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, but it's not. Um, which is fine. Like, it doesn't need to be. Hot take here. Not everything needs to be a feminist masterpiece to be fun or entertaining. Well, if you're a longtime listener, you you would know that Missy doesn't believe media can be right. Feminist. I, I like. I'm willing to be proven wrong by the right piece of media, but this ain't it. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe a book media. Even then, you the know, will it change. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that one. Uh, Not everything needs to be a feminist masterpiece to be fun or entertaining, even if, you know, I think it should be. Um, The reason this gets my hackles up is because the idea that this is a feminist masterpiece encourages us to swallow all kinds of other gross ideologies with it if we want to truly believe that. And I am A, not willing to do that. And B, don't really want you, the listener, to do that either. We can enjoy things critically, which is the point of this very podcast that you're listening to. I suspect longtime listeners here are like, yeah, yeah, we know, Missy, get on with it. But this is one of those episodes I anticipate bringing in new listeners, and it's only fair they should get the same lecture you've all had a million times yeah, already. I think it should, I mean, I said it, but I also think it should be clear, like, you liked the movie. You I did. You like it as much as, like, I did. No. I fucking loved for reasons, it. For reasons that will become abundantly clear over the course of this episode, the movie didn't resonate with me in the same way it resonated with a lot of other people, and that's okay. I think from, I think, like, I don't know how to say this. 
a lot of people t- like it's it, the the movie spoon feeds you feminism, right? Yes, and I think that's part of its strength. Yes, um, and that doesn't work for you for multiple reasons, and because I'm a pretentious snob. Well, wait till you hear what I'm about to say. <laughs> I think you see this as like, or you, and then you're not saying you're wrong. This is like, turn off your brain, enjoy it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you see all the cracks. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Sucker Punch, <laughs> <laughs> the cracks are giant. Yes. And so you're there. For- when I watch Sucker Punch, I throw myself into the abyss. Yeah. And so like, you're able to turn off your brain. Whereas this movie's asking you to engage. This movie's literally invoking like Proust. Proust is it? Proust? Yeah. Proust. Proust? 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 Proust. I can never remember how I think it's said. Proust. Proust. That's how I always said it in my head, at least. I might be wrong. Fuck if I know. I don't care. Um, but I think that's where, like, if somebody wants to make the argument, like, oh, can it just be fun? I think this movie's asking us not to, like, not to necessarily turn off your brain. And I think that you're very keen on that. Yeah. Whereas something like Sucker Punch isn't asking you to do anything. There's no there there. <laughs> yeah. So I There's think, a there here. <laughs> I think that's why you can't have that. Can't we just shut off our brain and enjoy it? Not that you didn't enjoy it, but. It's yeah. asking you to do that. And you, I the could, rule-abiding person you are. <laughs> I could write a paper on how fucking hot Ryan Gosling yeah. is as just the worst Ken on Earth. I could, like, let me tell you, I certainly enjoyed Maybe that aspect. Maybe that's why you missed parts of it, because when Ken's on there, your brain turns <sighs> off. Truly. We were re-watching one of the scenes toward the end, because I was, like, making sure I understood a point in it. And I was like, I literally did not pay attention to what's happening in the dialogue of this scene because he is eating this role up like ryan gosling was the perfect choice because ryan gosling wanted to do this so bad yes he threw his whole self in he was ken incredible and it was just it was just great it was spectacular the acting in this i'm twirling my hair i'm kicking my feet the outfits were good I, you know, the script was good for me, at least. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a well-made movie. And yeah. I think that's something I'm going to probably say a few times throughout the movie. This yeah. is a good... I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, yeah, I loved it. I have a lot of criticisms of it because it invites me to make those criticisms. Exactly. And I think what is... I think I, I put this in, in a comment later on. But um, I think what worked for me in this, like, why it was so funny is... I didn't expect it to literally just say, like, isn't patriarchy bad? Like, yeah, yeah. They could have actually said that, and I wouldn't would have fit in. Yes. And I and I didn't expect that from the Barbie movie, and right. so I don't personally like when things are spoon fed to me. But this is this is like double spoon fed, and it's like the plain. It's spoon. validating. Yeah, it feels very validating, and it feels fearless. Yeah, it feels very fearless. It's it is. And I love that. It's validating to have a movie say the things that you think. And and there's some really fucking smart jokes in there. Yeah, for sure. Like obviously the the best one being um, the fascism one. But I don't I don't control the means. Of, what was it? The the railways. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> it was very good. It's funny. It's Greta, Greta Gerwig's and and Noah Baumbach are smart writers. Like yeah. this is a smart movie. It's a funny movie, but that also means the, it's but, held to a higher standard. Exactly, for us. exactly. I yeah. th- I can't critique Sucker Punch on the same level yeah. because Sucker Sucker Punch is mindless garbage. Yeah, you know, um, this is not that. This yeah. is inviting me to critique it, and because the the reaction to this movie has been so intense. On any side of the political mm-hmm. spectrum, it's it's over the top in res- with like alt right people calling it like the downfall of civilization. <laughs> it's it's over the top when it comes to people hailing it as like a leftist 
feminist masterpiece. Like, no, it, guys, it's a movie about a doll. Yeah, um, trying to sell you a doll. Trying to sell you a doll. And but it created like as soon as we were done watching the movie, we immediately started talking about shit. Yeah, like it. And that's something I really appreciated about this movie. And I was like, we have to do an episode on this. And yes. we got to be real careful. <laughs> yeah. So, so We knew right away. we got to be real careful. So know, know that when I am critiquing this movie, it's going to sound like I hate the movie. I don't. I don't. I'm not critiquing the movie because I'm a secret misogynist. It's not a secret. It's not a secret. I'm an outward misogynist. <laughs> that's why you're rereading the will to change. You're trying to get For better. the second time. Yeah. I, I'm re- the second time you, this year, I'm really rereading trying. the will to change. Um, and, uh, and I'm not critiquing the movie because I hate it. I'm critiquing it because I enjoyed it and because it invited me to do so. Yeah. So keep that in mind, especially as we get into some of the thornier discussions um, in this episode and in the next. But the, the, the barest fact is I have a lot of fun watching this movie. And when I critique something, I do it from a place of love. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about uh, before we can really get into what the movie is doing is to very literally understand Barbie Land. Um, within the context of the film, like I want to know what is Barbie land, because if we can understand what Barbie land is, I think it'll shed some light on the relationship to the real world that it has. Um, and I think there's a few possible explanations, which we'll go through. So the first explanation I have is that Barbie land is a Plato-esque world of forms. So Plato's world of forms and the allegory of the cave are truly ancient philosophical ideas. The world of forms is the idea that everything, physical things, ideas, etc., has a true form that is the truest, most accurate representation of it. The world of forms is not a physical place, but rather a collection of these forms from which everything else springs and imitates. For example, we know what a circle is right we know what a circle is but all representations of circles are imitations of the true circle and so even pi is a flawed way of understanding and measuring a circle i think that our is it the last unicorn yes i think we do a really good job of breaking that because that sounds really con- like not it doesn't sound confusing because of how you wrote it it's just a, right it's philosophy so if you, i think if somebody's interested to learn more that's the, a really good the last uniform unicorn episode we talk about it a lot it's also a really good movie and book and episode. yes yes um so like plato didn't know about computers so he can't we really zoom he can't really have predicted things like extremely accurate graphing but like the point stands right his point is that there is a perfect version of something and we can never aim to hit that perfection. The that platonic, is the, form, the platonic ideal. Plato. I had, every time I have these realizations, <laughs> I don't think I had that realization before. Um, another way to think about the world of forms is through his famous allegory of the cave in which he compares the world we live in to a group of humans chained with their backs to a fire and their faces toward a cave wall behind them. But in front of the fire, people use puppets and objects that cast shadows onto the cave wall. The people who are chained, who have been imprisoned here their whole lives, have no choice but to believe that the shadows are real and the voices they hear echoing off the walls belong to the shadows, not the people behind them. So there's more to this allegory that we're not going to get into because it has a lot to do with the philosophy and the like rejection of it but that's the gist is the idea that it's a whole philosophy yeah 
it, it's it's basically that the things that we see and interact with are not the true things they That's are the matrix yeah they're the shadows of those things so barbie land might be a world of forms barbie is the ideal woman in our culture she is career driven she is normatively beautiful she has it all she is always smiling and she is also made to be manipulated right like quite literally her body is made to be manipulated barbie is the woman we are all shadows on the cave wall of barbie barbie land is a cave barbie land is it actually i think barbie land would be the uh the people with the puppets while we are the chained ones watching Barbie's shadow on the wall. Um, I think this is the way that the Barbies of the movie see the world, right? They assume that because everything is right and good in Barbie land, a fact I disagree with, which will form the crux of some <laughs> of my issues. they don't know any different. Yeah, they don't know any different. Um, because everything is right and good in Barbie land, it must also be right and good in the real world. Part of Barbie's character growth is that she has to realize that that isn't true. Just because she has it good doesn't mean that everybody else does. While at times Barbie land may feel like a world of forms, it really can't be. Not just because things aren't perfect in the real world, which we could interpret as a corruption of the true world of forms, but because we know that the real world, through people playing with and or thinking about the dolls, changes Barbie land, mm -hmm. right? That's how we get weird Barbie. Yeah. So, therefore, the idea of Barbie land as a world of forms doesn't fit. But um, it feels really good. Yes. It feels like it, it does. Yes. Uh, so here's another proposition. Barbie Land is a simulation of our own society, a la Baudrillard. Here we go. Now, if you want to know more about Baudrillard, you can listen to our episode on The Matrix. So to review, simulacra per Baudrillard are copies of something that has no original or where the original no longer exists. The classic example of this is Disneyland, which is built on fairy tales far removed from their original sources and imagined versions of history. Main Street USA is not a real place, nor is it a recreation of a real place. It is wholly imagined, but it hearkens to ideas that we associate with a certain type of place. There right? is like a, a place that inspired it but it's not it's not like a recreation of that yes yeah so that's what a simulacra is a simulation is the imitation of a real world process or system over time so if barbie land were a world of forms we might think of the real world as a simulation of it since we've established that that isn't quite right perhaps that the perhaps it's the opposite maybe barbie land is a simulation of our world an imitator of our thinking and our processes which I think to some extent is true. I think Barbie, both the concept and the character, are simulacra for sure. Yeah. Um, but there are elements of Barbie land that are relevant to our own world, not just because the people and objects found there are quite literally from our world. You also have the replication of our system, such as having a constitution, a Supreme Court, and a president. The Barbies and Kens follow our gender roles, and many slash most of the Barbies have jobs in a society that reflects ours with some key components, such as money, missing. Mm -hmm. But is it a simulation of our world? Maybe it's a simulacra. I think it is a simulation to some degree, though obviously there are some key differences, such as it being a matriarchy. But that isn't as subversive as it might seem at first glance, because while we don't live under a matriarchy, we do live under a gender-based hierarchy, patriarchy. That Barbie, the movie, effectively flips this idea on its head actually, in my opinion, enforces the idea of gender-based hierarchies. It feels subversive because it's not our world, but all it really does is enforce the validity of gender-based hierarchies. 
As we'll talk about more later, one of my frustrations with this movie is that, despite paying lip service to dismantling oppressive systems, it doesn't really make any bold moves in that direction. I think after I saw the movie and we had this conversation, I think what helps me understand this argument the best is the saying, um, I don't want equality, I want liberation. Yeah. And this is equality. Yes. Yes. Um, so this is a quote, or it's not really a quote, but this is a, a, a video called... It's a quote. Well, it's not really a quote. It's me talking about it. Um, there's a video called Barbie, a subversive review, which is by Carefree Wandering, which argues that the film is doing actually a simulation of subversion, and that mm. many of the reviews and Gerwig herself claim the film is subversive. There's a famous quote that people have quoted her saying tw- time and time again, which is, I'm both doing the thing and subverting the thing. And we'll come back to that quote many times throughout the episode. It almost sounds like she's about to say the um, philosophy about changing. I'm be- always becoming. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> she's invoking Deleuze. Um, when you look closer at much of what happens in the film, as well as how it's constructed, is it subversive? Again, we'll come back to this idea numerous times throughout the episode and the next one. So hold on. Do we want to give like a a, a brief like un, like um, definition of like what subversive actually is? Sure. I didn't think about that. So pardon me while I look it up. Uh, so subversion is the undermining of the power and authority of an established system or institution. So in order to be subversive, it needs to consciously undermine power and authority. So my beef here is that I don't think the movie actually undermines power and authority, but it feels like it does. It undermines us gender, gendered, ver- like uh, the men, the male's version, right? I don't even know that it does that because the way that I feel about the like reversing of like, wouldn't it like, haha, men, wouldn't it suck if you were treated like women are in our society? All it really does is flip the script. It doesn't feel subversive to me because all it does is say it's bad. <laughs> I think that I think that you would might get some pushback in that yes, it does it does it's like the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. But Kens are treated better. They're not sexually harassed and things like that in Barbie Land. And I, I think that's, that's true, people, but there's no sex in Barbie Land. Yes, and I think well I think that's where people feel like um I don't have to be scared in Barbie land. Sure. So later we'll talk about like Taylor Swift airs tour. That was a huge thing that was mm-hmm. talked and Beyonce's tour as well. Women were able to go to it without feeling scared. Yeah. Sexual assault, sexual harassment and those things. I think seeing that absent mm-hmm. makes people not necessarily jump to that conclusion, but to really believe that mm-hmm. without interrogating it more because man, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, for sure. But like you said, there's no sex, there's no genitals, there's, so like there's no violence that yeah there's no violence in i mean even when kens were in charge well there is the violence like they have the fight scene with the kens and alan but is it i mean it's silly it's quite silly it's quite so they're fighting with like blow-up toys yeah they're they're doing a simulation of fight of like a big war fight i think that's accurate yeah because they're not killing each other Mm -hmm. and it is an imitation of a real world process yeah um, so this video goes on to make points about how the film's humor mostly mostly relies on postmodernist references to other things, such as films, ideologies, and even philosophy. The jokes sometimes are not so much jokes as references. I hated this part because I, I know I hated that you put this up. I, I know hated it. And as much as I know I'm kicking the hornet's nest with this comparison, 
Isn't that precisely what we've complained about with regard to humor like the kind found in Family Guy in the past? When I first read that, I had such a knee-jerk reaction to defend myself. Because (laughs) I I, I can't think of an example, like, specifically, but yeah, you're right. The Bruce Barbie thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the means of and the, and the uh-huh. yeah. So like that's not a joke. That's a reference. It's smart though. Yeah, and I I mean my knee jerk reaction to say is Family Guy's not smart, but I truly don't watch it. Mm-hmm. So it could be who fucking sometimes who, it is. Who the fuck knows? I don't watch it either, but I have seen some things from it that yeah, are. Yeah, so fact that smart. was the roughest part of this album yeah. for me. I immediately was like, "This is wrong." And, no, I felt the same <laughs> way when I watched this video. I was like, "Ooh, I don't like that Ooh, at all." But I you're don't right, because like I've always right. like harped on other people doing that. Yeah, I'm no better. We're not. None of us are immune to this kind of thing. Uh, anyway, this video is more about the movie than about Barbie Land. But while we're talking about simulations, I thought I might as well bring it up. Um, so maybe, maybe Barbie Land is a simulation. But based on the fact that it's a representation of a representation of a fake idea mm-hmm. of the real world, by which I mean fake representation number one, we're watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Fake representation level two, we are watching Barbie Land within mm-hmm. the movie, which is fake idea number three a representation of a fake idea of the real world yeah it's inception we're several levels removed from reality here um so barbie land again which which mirrors the real world of the film which is a fantastical fantastical recreation of our own world is so removed from the actual real world that its connection to it is more or less meaningless that's one of i think i think it i um point out this is literally coming from literally the audience point of view Mm -hmm. and not necessarily like the movie is trying to say but like as we watch it yes this is this is what it's explaining yeah this is what we're explaining and and that's one of the sources of humor in the film right when it opens the narrator states that barbie solved all of the world's problems which is obviously not true and its distance from reality is what makes it funny to us Mm -hmm. so whatever else we might say about barbie land i think it's also worth considering as a simulacra which baudrillard discusses not just because it's interesting and makes him feel smart but because it reveals how much of our culture, our society, and our media is built on deception. Because, yes, L.A. exists. Or is Venice Beach near L.A.? I don't know, no, California, you guys. It's not. So, regardless, Mattel is a real corporation in our world, right? The Mattel we see in the movie is not Mattel, right? That's not real. But the movie wants us to think it's real. And that's the way that our culture works a lot of the time. We think things are real, but they are actually representations of some ideal. Um, So simulacra simulation. Three, Barbie Land is an imaginative space created by all the people playing with Barbie dolls. This is the explanation given most clearly in the film, which makes it both the easiest to talk about and the least interesting. Mm-hmm. But we're going to make it interesting because I don't 100% buy this. Well, as soon as you start interrogating it, it just kind of, it falls apart, not necessarily like... The, it's just kind of flimsy. Well, it, it's just like, I'm like, well, there's so many people. There's not enough Barbies. Are there yeah. other Barbie? La- like on that level, it starts to fall apart. Yeah. So according to the movie, Barbie Land is basically summoned into being by the collective energy of people who play with Barbies, hence the play at adult heterosexual relationships without knowing why. The best example of this is the scene when Ken is like, I was thinking I can stay over tonight. Why? I don't know. Just seemed like something we should do. You know, like it's it's very funny. Kids don't know. Um, 
It serves as sort of a reverse Jungian collective unconscious. If you want to know more about Jung, you can listen to our episode on Venom. Uh, in that instead of being the collective wellspring from which cultural ideas spring forth, it's the cultural wellspring we have dumped ideas about play and women and men and sex and gender into. And that has created a whole world in which people, Barbies, live. Barbies are therefore restricted by the gender roles of our own society while feeling like they're free of them, right? Because Mm -hmm. when we play, we are often imagining a world different than ours. Um, Like us, the Barbie... Very different when you don't have a lot of things to play with. Yes. My my Barbie always slept in a sleeping bag. When you are me and you have one Aladdin Barbie (laughs) and four women, let me tell you, it was not heterosexual in in my Barbie world. Um... Like us, the Barbies believe the way their world works is good and natural because that's the way it's always worked. When Barbie and Ken Ryan Gosling venture out of Barbie land, they find that the real world is quite different. I think that all makes sense, right? But it raises some important questions for me. Why is Barbie land so aggressively heteronormative and reliant on traditional gender roles? Obviously, in this world, Barbies work in Ken's beach. But good lord, the only visual markers of gender difference within womanhood belong to Weird Barbie, who despite being played that way by an actual child, is ostracized from the rest of the group. What is Barbie's job? Stereotypical Barbie, I think, is just, yeah. Like, almost like the mascot, I guess. Yeah. Um, Now, the rest of the group could be echoing the gender stereotypes of the real world and ostracizing weird Barbie on that basis, i.e. the majority of people playing with Barbies believe in adhering to gender norms and therefore their toys ostracize her as well. But why is that true of every Barbie and every child? Uh, in this world. You're telling me that in an imaginative space created by everybody playing with Barbies, the world remains aggressively heteronormative and non-sexual? I think this is one of the biggest failures of the movie because I saw a lot of not people necessarily getting upset of being like, oh, I'm not represented because this is how I played with it. But like, right. it became like a joke, right? Yeah. And it would have been really fucking easy to do something. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that there's no, like, well, we'll talk about that later, but, like, relationships, but clearly there's a want for a relationship. Yes. And it's not all just Barbie. I mm-hmm. mean, Barbie can do that anyways, but I think that that, for My me... My Barbies were kissing Barbies. My Barbies yeah. were kissing Aladdin. Skipper. Um, I didn't have Skipper. No. Um, yeah, so I think, I think just even from the fact of there's not a lot of male Barbies, mm-hmm. I think a lot of, I don't remember if I did, a lot of kids just had them together and even if they weren't necessarily not straight, it was just like, they're playing. They're playing. They're playing there's, house. There's a really great game by Nina Freeman called How Do You Do It? Which is uh, from the perspective of a child who has seen Titanic and her <laughs> mother leaves and she has two naked Barbies <laughs> and she's trying to use these dolls to understand the feelings that she felt in the car scene in Titanic when they're having sex in the car. And so you play as her just kind of clumsily mashing these yeah. Barbies together and blushing because she's trying to understand her feelings. Yeah. Um, and that is that is an experience that I think a lot of children have when playing mm-hmm. with Barbies is the like, I understand something is happening here, but I don't know what it is. And yeah. it's not that, that the lack of that in the movie makes me unhappy. It's just like, it didn't feel comprehensive. It didn't... It, it, I've seen people say this so much that it felt like it needed to be there mm-hmm. um then and, and like 
kids aren't necessarily understanding what sex is or that type of intimate relationship but like you said that they are mashing things together right (laughs) whether it's it's their bodies or their leg whatever how do you do it is such a like perfect um encapsulation because it's very innocent right yeah she just knows that she watched the scene in titanic and it made her feel like it made her blush right Mm -hmm. and she doesn't know why she knows that like something called sex or making love happens Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know what it means or what it looks like and so she uses her dolls to kind of be like is how does it work and it's very funny of course because the dolls don't have genitals so she's just kind of pushing them together and like you end the game and it says you maybe did sex x (laughs) amount of times because she doesn't know what sex is she has no idea but like barbies and other dolls and other toys and stuff are, are kind of our means of exploring those things and it just felt kind of like where where was that in the movie? I think some people might push back on that and say, talk about Alan because Alan is very much yeah. been accepted as like a gay character, a gay Barbie. Yeah. But I don't think that Alan is mainstream enough within Barbie to right. really, I didn't, I know. And Magic Earring Ken. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. We'll talk more about them next <laughs> that time. That lore is behind it. But if I didn't know that lore was behind it, I don't know if I would have necessarily caught on. And they could have, they could have done something with it because like they make the joke about i can wear all his clothes yeah why not something about his closet yeah yeah right Right? like the joke is right there or like this is barbie's dream house and that over there is barbie and barbie's dream house yeah something simple like that while it may not have been like great but it i just i feel like i've seen the joke so many times that clearly it's missing yes um So it's worth mentioning here that the interpretation of Barbie, like stereotypical Barbie as asexual is actually one of the more compelling readings of her to me, even as I'm reluctant to give credit to the movie for it, because it feels like it's stemming from a particular interpretation of childhood innocence rather than an understanding of asexual identity. But I love to see people who have reinterpreted and found validation in Barbie as an ace character, because I think that's I think there is. Like that is a compelling interpretation, mm-hmm. even if as I even as I'm not willing to give the movie credit for it. Yeah, I think as I when I read that, I kept that in mind a lot for it. And like there are certain parts where I'm like, yeah, that would totally fit. Yeah. And um I think it's really interesting. Yeah. But that, you know, what about Hari Neff's Dr. Barbie? Hari Neff is a trans woman, which implies that there are trans Barbies, right? Which would imply that Barbie Land or the child playing with Dr. Barbie has an understanding of transness. Well, I don't know if we can really say that. Hari Neff is trans in our world, but just as cis people annoyingly play trans people all the time in Hollywood, we can't say for certain that Dr. Barbie is in fact trans. What does it mean to be trans in Barbie land? I would have loved to learn a bit about that. It would have been nice to know that in Barbie land, you are whatever you feel, for example. Mm -hmm. But if you don't already know that Hari Neff is trans, you may not know that Dr. Barbie is trans. So what do we do with that as far as praising the film for representation? And then it gets, (laughs) I think people probably are straying away from this conversation because then it's like, well, trans women are women. Sure. And so they're playing a woman and uh-huh. like so it gets it does get really like complicated yes um so it would have been nice to have i mean i know they tackle a lot of stuff but 
That's kind of an, an important one. Right. And and to be clear, now. this isn't me saying that they shouldn't have had a trans woman playing Barbie absolutely if they weren't not. going to go into her being trans. They should have they, had more. They absolutely should have. And I'm glad that Hari Neff is there playing Dr. Barbie. What I'm not willing to do is praise the film for trans representation because it has absolutely nothing to do with the lived experience of being trans. Though wouldn't that have been interesting given that this is a movie about potential and identity and being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the perfect place i think Agreed. to establish what it means to be a woman um <laughs> where everyone's asking right uh before we move on there are a couple of other things i want to mention in this vein that aren't like quite interrogating what barbie land is but nonetheless can help us understand the goals of the film um there's a quote in mina lee's video explaining the hyper femininity aesthetic which is actually from there was a big trend like this year in this shocking pink wardrobe right we saw it on uh florence Pugh, her really bright pink dress i mean it was a couple years ago it was literally called barbie pink yeah there this year in particular there's just been this like huge amount of bright pink clothing at you know hollywood events on the runway etc and on valentino's website they actually say pink as a manifestation of the unconscious and a liberation from the need for realism that's how they define the specific shade of like quote-unquote valentino pink now i have no idea if greta gerwig was into valentino's big pink campaign but i find this really interesting pink is not an unnatural color but the version of pink that mina lee is discussing here is a shocking vibrant aggressive pink right i feel like valentino is uh is maybe reaching a bit here with how people respond to pink as a whole but looking at pink as a quote manifestation of the unconscious and a liberation from the need for realism can give us some insight into barbie um the aggressive pink of the film through this admittedly odd lens is an indicator that we are removed from reality and in the realm of the unconscious right like visually nowhere in the world looks like barbie land and part of that is because of the shocking amount of pink yeah um what we see and feel then in Barbie land is not meant to be read literally. It's meant to be interpretive based on feeling rather than reality. So that's another lens that we can, we can use to look at the film um, as we're considering like what it is saying. You have any other thoughts on Barbie land? No. Um, let's talk about gender. <laughs> now let's really get into the weeds. Um, since this is the Barbie episode, we're going to focus on girls and women here. And I am purposely dividing the two because I think that while girl is a, is a stage of woman, the movie is doing something interesting with both girlhood and womanhood. And more importantly, so is our culture. So this section is going to be about Barbie, but it's also going to be about what we may as well call girl summer and that this summer was all about girls and girlies and so on. So first, we're going to talk about girlhood. What is girlhood? Well, it's the state of being a girl, which is a fraught thing, right? Frankly, my girl, my girlhood sucked. My life was tumultuous, but also being a girl was fucking difficult because I was under societal pressures to perform girlhood as well as personal personal pressures, right? And those pressures made me feel like I was constantly failing. I was utterly and completely failing at being a girl. You really only need to look at my childhood icons, Joan of Arc, Mulan, Alana, (laughs) to see that I was uh, a bit resistant to the feminine roles being shoved onto me, right? 
Which I bring up not because this is a cool podcast about my childhood traumas, <laughs> but because when Mary told me people were talking about Taylor Swift's Eras Tour and Barbie as encouraging people to reconnect with their girlhoods, I was like, why the hell would anybody <laughs> want to do that? And also, whose girlhoods? Yeah. Um, I had a very different experience from yeah. I was encouraged. I mean, the, my dad's in some dumb things like I need to... Learn to cook. Learn to cook or yeah. whatever. But he also pushed me to play sports. Right. Whereas my mom was like, oh, go into ballet. And I, she didn't want me to go into softball because she was afraid I'd get hurt. Right. But um, I had so I had a lot of women in my in my life who were very much like being being a girl can mean anything you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. Very stereotypical. Um, but I never had the feeling of like, wow. A failure. Yeah. I've never had that feeling of failure specifically within my gender. Yes. So, uh, I think it's, 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 I think this is a good conversation because we have literally like opposite. Yeah. And I, I don't want to wade too deep into my personal no, experiences. But, but it's but gonna, it's gonna color the way in which you talk about Exactly. The, the exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what girlhood is, whose girlhoods are being celebrated and where the Barbie movie comes into all of this. The first thing I want to to interrogate here, which sounds a lot harsher than I mean it to, is the notion of why we're talking about girls at all, as opposed to women. What does the specific choice of girl mean, especially because we're seeing a rise in adults using the word to describe them, describe themselves, myself included, when talking about things like things, you know, things that I like, like saying I'm not a Ryan Gosling girly, which I think is something I said when we first talked about the Barbie movie after it came out. We'll get into that use in a minute. So girl, this is going to sound like the most obvious thing in the world, but just bear with me. We got to go step by step. Girl means a young woman. At its most simple, right? It's usually applied to children, so it also has connotations of innocence, naivety, and a sort of delicate femininity. Did you want to say what you had? Uh, I was just, I put a a comment here and said, LOL, this is literally Taylor Swift because she literally has a song called Innocent and Delicate. Right. I didn't even think about that when I was writing the outline, but you're right. She has, and she has a lot of songs about being young and being innocent Mm -hmm. and uh, the people who grew up with that. I think that's part of the reconnection is they're reconnecting Mm with those. I say later in my comments too, like, I don't feel that because I don't like country music so i didn't listen to it <laughs> a calling yourself a girl invokes these things as much as it invokes the more mainstream ideas of being a girl such as being assigned female at birth um this is super complex in how it applies to different people i'm in favor of a broad and ungate kept idea of what a girl is and who gets to call themselves that if you say you're a girl slash girly slash etc you are a girl slash girly slash etc it's not gonna gatekeep that yeah the i'm not gonna gate gatekeep gaslight girl boss you out of using the <laughs> word girl the point i'm making here is not to define what a girl is and who gets to call themselves one but rather what is said when we say girl that is not just the word itself yeah, right? i think that distinction is to be made like you saying that because I think there's also like talking about what is a woman right I don't want people to conflate that we're saying what is a girl yeah because I, I don't give a shit yeah what is a girl you say I, you're I truly a girl, you're don't a girl. give a shit um, when I say girl, I'm holding a number of complex ideas in my mind that includes cis girls, trans girls, cis women, trans women, and anybody else for whom girl applies on a personal level, you know? Like if you say you're a girl, you're a girl. That's that's what matters. It's like saying like, hey guys. Yeah. I mean everyone. Yeah. So if if girl, the word connotates or connotes youth, connotates, connotes, whatever. If girl also (laughs) suggests youth, innocence, naivety, etc., why are so many adults using it? Well, let's start with a really generous take. 
Something I found interesting while researching this episode was that the Riot Girl movement chose girl and girl power. Did you know girl power comes from Riot Girl? Yeah, we talked about it in Spice Girls. Wow, I didn't remember that. Yeah, we talked about it in Spice Girls. Anyway, they chose girl and girl power deliberately, not because they were targeting youth. In Just a Girl by Gail Wald, Wald writes, the themes within the Riot Girl community were not about a loss of innocence or a fall from childhood grace, but an innocence that was not owned or enjoyed, a grace that was denied. I think um, if you haven't heard of Riot Girl, I think it's worth pointing out that they spell girl with a G-R-R-R-L. Yes. And it's kind of like growling yes. almost. I'm sorry. I think that's – if you if you have – If you're not if you familiar. Know, yeah, if you're not familiar at all, I think that's an important context. It is it. purposefully aggressive. Yeah. The point being here that calling attention to girls alongside the anger present in the Riot Girl movement purposefully pointed toward the fact that innocence and grace was denied to girls. I'm going to focus throughout this episode on myself as an example because I don't feel comfortable speaking about the lived experiences of other people and because I have a not unique but somewhat tense relationship with the idea of girlhood in a way that Mary really doesn't but our perspectives are only two sides of a many 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 sided picture so speaking of myself and my upbringing when I look back at my girlhood so to speak it feels like something I didn't get to have I feel robbed of it, not only because I'm an adult whose childhood is now over, but because the expectations placed on me as an as an AFAB or assigned female at birth person were so restrictive that I wasn't allowed to enjoy childhood. This wasn't true all the time, of course. I wasn't like constantly adulting. Um <laughs> But where I ought to have had a girlhood, I instead had a proto-womanhood, where my worth was based on my gendered contributions, cooking, cleaning, physical beauty, etc. So yeah, I feel fucking cheated and angry when I think about my youth. So the idea of Riot Girl appeals to me, that loud, angry rejection of appropriate feminine behavior in protest against the early roles that were thrust on me. This is no doubt why this conversation about girlhood girlhood gets my hackles up right yeah and i and i think you touch on it later too some people do have exactly your same experience and find that reclaiming that girlhood does is like liberating for them yeah reclaiming this idea of girlhood mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about a little a yeah bit more I, i've seen a lot of people talk about that specifically as well because not everyone has a perfect childhood sure right? but also it doesn't leave room for the exactly what you're talking about with yeah. the riot girl movement or but, at least i haven't seen it make room for yeah that. Which, like, cool. Yeah, I'm into it, right? That idea of reclaiming girlhood through, like, anger. Um, But that's not what's happening everywhere, right? The girlhood being celebrated in these sort of of year-of-the-girl think pieces and TikToks is represented largely by two very specific figures, Taylor Swift and Barbie. I can't tell you how fucking... Okay, obviously, like, I like both those people. But how fucking annoying it is that I... When I really... We really started talking about girlhood and, like, extremely rare for me to ever see Dylan Mulvaney Mm -hmm. in that conversation, which if you're not familiar with Dylan Mulvaney first of all they're great um uh, she's a trans woman and she did like uh, I think she did 360 days I think she stopped after 360 days 360 days of girlhood where mm-hmm. she was learning she was going through her girlhood because yes. she was she had trans she was tra- she was trans she had transitioned <laughs> and she was learning to be a girl and the fact that that didn't spark mm-hmm. the girlhood thing says a lot yes also you're missing out on some great fucking content yeah um and like now she's doing now she's completely left that and she's doing womanhood and i think that that's lovely yes it is and she gave this she's she's very well spoken she's very self con like self-aware mm-hmm. and so she's very she over explains but i think often it works because she has a very specific 
like uh view of the world sure and it just it's such a loss in this conversation i totally agree um so so we have again these two major figures taylor swift and barbie representing this this year of the girl or whatever so what's going on there why are fully grown adults calling themselves girls as they post about girl dinner and girl math what does it mean to invoke girlhood as an adult well it's complicated, right? It's tempting to come down hard on one side or another here, but I don't think that's productive. I never think that's productive. <laughs> um, instead, let's talk about some of the different takes on this to understand them, because I don't think it's as simple as this idea of, you know, girlhood, girl dinner, girl math. I don't think it's as simple as these things being good or bad. They are complex. I think, too, I want to mention, like like I said, we might have some new viewers, um, the knee-jerk reaction of, well, I just say, girl, let that go. Yes. Just just let it go. I understand. I do it, too. Like, mm-hmm. like I just say it. I don't think about it. But, like, that's exactly what we're going to, like. I'm encouraging you to think about yeah, it. Think about it. Let that, like, absolutely, like, block. Is, hop, stop happening. It is okay if you listen to me say this and you go, I disagree. That totally. is okay. We are asking you to to do a lot. Yeah. Um but I but I do think when this conversation first started happening between us I was like some people just say girl, like mm-hmm. hey girl, and then we talked about it more and like I think just let go of that feeling of I this is just what I say. Yeah. And if you can't then then this, this is probably not the podcast because we're probably <laughs> going to make you very angry. Yeah, it is It is good for us to entertain ideas even if we don't agree with them, to just spend some time letting ourselves soak it in and be like, how do I feel about this? Mm-hmm. Because it's good to to consider the, the way that you think about things and the way that you do things, even if you don't change your mind on them. You might just, you know, learn that that's that and I still do this. Yeah. That's cool. Um. So... Good, right? Let's talk about the good parts of this. I think it can actually be a good thing for people to reconnect with their childhoods, especially when we're thinking about the idea of girlhood as something stolen or invalidated by the world. I do think it's good to do that, like, consciously, you know? It's one of those things that, like, self-care can end up being more, like, indulgent than helpful. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Indulging your inner child is fairly harmless. It's a bit like quote-unquote adulting which has always sort of aggravated me in a way that's really benign right like <laughs> yeah. embracing it does not bother me. it does now because it's just it's over said yeah embracing girlhood has a sort of loftier feel to it than adulting which i think is sort of cringy at this point but i don't think it, there's all that big of a difference between them other than the obvious emphasis on femininity but i do feel that there is definitely a connection because i think i feel like when people say are adulting you are a kid playing an adult mm-hmm. you are doing you, i'm adulting and then later on yeah. i am not so I do think that those definitely are are tied together. Right. Um it's but yeah, it's overused. So. Yeah, it's it's one of the this can be totally benign. And and when I talk about the bad side, I want you to know that it can still be totally benign. And when I talk about the good side, I want you to know it can also be bad. Um <laughs> the downside is complicated to address simply, but we'll go step by step through it. We can agree that despite many gains, we still live in a patriarchal society. There are clear inequalities between men and women, not to mention people who don't fit into that binary and so on, right? 
But at the same time, there's an emphasis on a particular kind of woman, specifically white, cis, thin, able-bodied, straight, as representative of womanhood, and her struggle becomes emblematic of all struggles. For example, you have the often cited 70 cents on the dollar st- statistic, which is actually a little outdated, but not untrue. Um, US, The U.S. Department of Labor has it more like 84 cents on the dollar. But inflation. Yeah. <laughs> and also not representative of the whole truth, right? Because black and brown women are paid even less. When white women take up that much space, intentionally or not, it obfuscates how deep the problem goes. And that's not even talking about white women who prioritize their whiteness over their womanhood. Women are just as capable of upholding white supremacy and patriarchy as men are. Let's remember that white women, many of them voted for Trump. Uh huh. But what does that have to do with girlhood, right? Well, People are starting to call this kind of thing out more often. White women have attained more power than women of color and can be reluctant to give that power up. And sometimes the response to being called out is to embrace victimhood. If I, a white woman, for new listeners, I am, in fact, a white woman. Uh, if I, a white woman, am called out for being racist, it's not a stretch for me to retreat into painting myself as someone innocent or naive, right? And this doesn't have to be direct, like that example. It's also possible for white women to feel the pressure of being associated with harmful structures like white supremacy and heteronormativity and relinquish responsibility through embracing the innocence and naivety resp- re- represented by, quote unquote, embracing girlhood. My point here is not that embracing girlhood is good or bad. Things like these are complex. Not everybody who posts a girl dinner TikTok is dodging responsibility for their complicity in white supremacy. Not everybody who is embracing girlhood is doing it for innocent reasons, even if they don't realize it, right? A big one that I saw with specifically with girl dinner was um, people talking about the expectations of when you get married to like mm-hmm. make a meal, right? Whereas before before we had a man in our life or before we had a man living with us, a lot of people were like, just throw some chicken nuggets and like whatever I have left over on a plate mm-hmm. or like give me a charcuterie board and okay, that's girl dinner. Mm-hmm. So a lot of I've seen that conversation a lot of it's challenging what like the barefoot in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think that that, that is certainly what some people are doing and mm-hmm. other people are like, look at me i'm so i'm so stupid and defenseless i can't do anything and it's like that's funny sometimes but it can also be a means of like don't get caught up in it victimizing yourself right yeah um Something else interesting is that many of us experience an intentional distancing from girlhood, especially those of us who grow into feminism. When I was young, when I was a teenager in particular, I was very much a not like other girls girl, which stems from a mixture of things I was thinking and feeling at the time, as well as your garden variety internalized misogyny. But that can continue past when we feel the need to assert ourselves as individuals. Um, this is a quote from Bimbos Are Good, actually, by Morgan Sung. Uh, Distancing from the color pink is a common experience in feminist circles. Hugh and many of her peers in academia. Huff. Huff? It might be Huff. I only think that because I think there's uh, someone on Dancing with the Stars. Okay. With that. I have no idea if that's correct, but that is how Huff. Yeah. Uh, And many of her peers in academia were reluctant to embrace the color that had been forced upon them since birth. A 2011 study led by Stefan Poudin. 
Puntoni, a associate professor of marketing at the Rotterdam School of Management, concluded that the relentlessly pink gendered marketing used in breast cancer awareness ads actually may repel the women the ads are targeting. Female participants were less likely to think they were at risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer when they were shown pink advertisements than when they were shown colorless or neutral toned ones. Participants were also less likely to donate to the causes when shown pink marketing materials. Pantoni hypothesized that the color pink triggered a defense mechanism that made some female participants unconsciously ignore or downplay the advertisement's message. I think this was really interesting because it was surprising at first, but the more I thought about it, the more the least surprising it is. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's totally believable to see okay, the, the pink, for example, this example, like um, all the pink used in the, in the uh, breast cancer campaigns and have that like like, oh, I don't want to fit into a box. I don't want you to right. put me in a box. Like, you're you're already putting me in a box because you're only addressing women in mm-hmm. breast cancer when men can get breast cancer. Yes. And you're using this really stereotypical thing that doesn't, like, that's not my life. Uh-huh. Um, and I, like, I want to separate that. Uh, so I, I, it makes a lot of sense. At first, I was, re- I was really surprised, and then I was like, no. The more I think about it, it's like not wanting to be a statistic, right? Yeah. You don't. I don't know for other people, but like that idea never like bothered me of being a statistic until I found myself. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember finding myself in a, a situation where I was like a statistic, and I was like, oh, that feels bad. Yeah feels bad i'm just a number and i like i know i was really resistant to pink for a long time and as i've mentioned already i had this kind of like fraught relationship with being a girl um or it wasn't really i had a fraught relationship with being a girl i just was really resistant to things that girls were supposed to do well yeah and i think because those things were being pushed on you they happened to be girl yeah and now as an adult i love pink right like i've embraced pink but there was a time in my life when i was really really resistant to it or the only way that i would embrace pink was by wearing obnoxiously pink eyeshadow along with my from first to last shirt yeah we mix right? black and pink a lot yeah it's because we were emo kids yeah but I had pink hair <laughs> um but I, I couldn't embrace pink until i was much more um comfortable with myself and being a woman right like when i was like okay i am a woman this is who i am and it's i define woman as i define it that i was able to actually embrace pink as a color i like um so there's this real negative response to the color pink now associated primarily with women that has tangible effects. And I think it's safe to say that it's not pink that is the issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's our culture's associations with pink. In a culture that hates women, we also hate anything associated with women, leading to this distrust for the color pink, which is just a color. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just a color. I When we were at um, Emerald City, I was at a panel and somebody had asked... Uh, they had asked it much better than I'm going to say it right now. How, like, they were a teacher or they had a daughter. Let's just say she had a daughter for a lot, for make it simple. Um, where she wasn't sure how to teach her daughter. Um, you don't have to choose the unicorn to color, mm-hmm. but it's not bad that you did. And I think that's difficult. It's a hard, it's a hard mm-hmm. way to go because you don't, because of that knee jerk, <clears throat> knee jerk reaction of, of being like, oh, pink, no. Right. But you don't, but like, a lot of people are thinking more about it now, right? And they don't want to teach their their kids like, oh, I can't be a girl. I must be. How I- do you avoid gender roles in a world e- saturated with exactly. gender roles? Exactly. How do you how do you do that? And but then at the, the turn completely around and say, but it's still okay. Right. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, this is a quote from We've Reached Peak Girl, which is by Delia Kai. 
Um, that the faultless, thoughtless doll of our childhoods has risen once more as an icon of worship reveals a desire in this moment in time for a kind of transcendence, not of flesh and bone into plastic quite yet, but certainly for a smooth brain sub- subsumption into the quaffed insouciance <laughs> of Barbie-ness. There's a lot there. We seek not to be Barbie, but to adopt the form of a Barbie girl. I mean... Kai isn't wrong here, right? I can understand why we're in the head empty era. It fucking sucks out there, right? Sometimes it would be easier to not know things, to not think about them, and to just embrace being a child or a child's doll, which literally has nothing to worry about. Wouldn't it be nice to be Barbie? I mean, there you could easily, we're not going to, but I think we mentioned it, but you could easily tie the pipeline to... um, Trad wives? Trad wives. Yeah. Which is not Chad Wives, which I thought for a long time, trad as in T, traditional. Because yeah. so, that is kind of it, right? Wouldn't it be nice to be Barbie, to be physically perfect, to live in a world that's better than ours, to not have to think? Again, I think this is understandable. Ask me how many hours I've put into Baldur's Gate because I'm too stressed out to do other things. Don't ask me. It's embarrassing. The world is hard. We just went through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We have inflate Like, it's inflation is terrible our generation millennials specifically are the poorest generation Mm -hmm. and constantly being told it's our fault right fucking no it's not yeah having shuffled from crisis to crisis yeah and like inundated with more information than anybody in history has ever been inundated about and told we have to care about every piece of it yes and like when you even just simply looking at like okay the unemployment rate's really low right now Mm -hmm. and people like oh that's great but when you really look at it it's because people have so many fucking jobs because none of them pay enough right and people are taking freelance jobs they're not stable jobs right because let me tell you it's fucking hard right now. The job market is tough right now. Yes. It's extremely hard. And it's the high paying jobs that are. So like, yeah, is I yes, yes. I would love to be Barbie, right? <laughs> I would I could be I could just be anything I want. If uh-huh. I want to be a doctor, I can be a doctor. I don't have to try and get that job, go mm-hmm. to school, do all that stuff. So I that's when I think about this, that's always the first thing I think of, of like, of course, it's it's like this is not an easy world to live in. Yeah, it's it, it truly I can, isn't. I can see why so many people have embraced this idea of like head empty. Like, it just makes sense, right? It's yeah. it's fucking tough out there. Um, this is another quote from We've Reached Peak Girl by Delia Kai, who writes, Like Tradwife and the Bimbo, the young girl of today relies on the romanticization of an imagined past where personal responsibility for the greater state of the world does not exist. Life, therefore, cannot be all that disappointing. We crave our girlification as a coping mechanism. Adults have to worry about rent, student loans, climate change, political demagogues, bodily autonomy girls don't. At the heart of this imagined girlhood is an expression of femininity without consequence. Barbie doesn't need birth control anyway. Per Tikkin, this is a quote, per the young girl knows everything as devoid of consequence, even her own suffering. Everything is funny. Nothing's a big deal. Everything is cool. Nothing is serious. Again, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, I can see the appeal here. And I think indulging in this head emptiness isn't a bad thing all of the time. But there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, right? We cannot keep this up forever. I don't think this trend or embracing of Barbie is encouraging us to not engage with reality or the movie wouldn't end the way it does, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the reality is we got to go to gynecology appointments. Nobody fucking wants to. It sucks. Yeah. But 
we gotta go. Um, but it's worth asking why we're drawn to it and what else we're doing when we indulge in this head emptiness, right? I think we all need a break sometimes, especially in this world, but we also need to be cognizant of who gets to take a break and what a break means. When you have white women embracing girlhood as this freeing thing and encouraging everybody else to do it, it can start to feel condescending or ignorant mm-hmm. because whose girlhood? With what time. Some people don't have the luxury of unplugging from their real life concerns, which doesn't mean that the people who can can't indulge in it, only that it shouldn't be peddled as a solution to the world's problems, you know? Does that make sense? It does. And I definitely had, like, when we were having these conversations, Missy kept saying, like, but whose girlhood? And, like, I would have that knee-jerk reaction. But, like, of, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what the knee-jerk reaction was, but it was, like, girlhood. And when you have to, like, think about it, it's not, like, for me, it's not necessarily whose girlhood, but whose girlhood is going to be validated with this. Right, yeah. And I think that it looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I don't feel this, like, embrace, like embracing girlhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do have, like, that, uh, well, it's just girlhood, right? It's just girlhood. <laughs> I've seen so many people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, But for me, it's more of, not whose girlhood, but whose girlhood are we validating, which right. is probably what you're saying anyways. Yeah. So this is another quote from We've Reached, we have, we've reached Peak Girl by Delia Kai. Uh, it's the specific idea of girlhood that we are currently consumed by everywhere we see, exuberant and hyper-feminine, playful and innocent, and therefore almost always white. Gerwig herself, after all, has made a career out of depicting this kind of girlishness, ranging, ranging from 19th century Massachusetts to 2000 Sacramento, for one. In this decade, we find our girlhood worship manifested in the most popular celebrity in the world, a tall, blonde, 33-year-old woman who has upended the music industry with recreated heartbreak ballads from her youth and is now embarking on a literal tour of the eras of her former self. Earlier this month, she trotted out a now-married ex from her teenagehood for a backflip mm-hmm. and much applause. Her likeliest successor is a 20-year-old whose introduction to the extra Disney world beyond Disney was a hit song about obtaining a driver's license. This is where my frustration with the popular idea of reclaiming girlhood comes in. We did a whole episode on Ladybird where I talked about how sometimes it hit too close to home for me to the point where I was actually unable to reconcile my own feelings with the ending of the movie like it's a good movie it just didn't land for me in the end because I was unable to let go of my own feelings and embrace the story that it was telling which again not the fault of the movie I loved the ending um Taylor Swift does not represent me or my girlhood and nor does Olivia Rodrigo I played with Barbies as a kid but Barbie doesn't represent my girlhood either and I'm a cis white woman right like (laughs) like I've got it comparatively easy Mm -hmm. um this embracing girlhood feels very much like as kai calls it a worship of a specific type of woman and it's worth noting here that olivia rodrigo Mm -hmm. is filipino american i don't want to erase that part of her heritage as we talk about the glorification of whiteness mary and i actually talked about this whole girlhood thing a lot outside of this episode um and when we were talking about this uh mary brought up this really good point which she mentioned earlier why isn't dylan mulvaney part of this conversation why are taylor swift and barbie two white cis heterosexual women sorry for kicking the hornet's nest uh the face of embracing girlhood if we wanted this conversation to be about girlhood it should be about girlhood and its many forms which includes bar people which includes barbie which includes people who don't fit the mold of taylor swift and barbie i want to also point out that it also did not often it did sometimes i was deep in this in this fucking hole uh, in tiktok so i saw a lot it often did not include 
Beyonce, who uh-huh. is also having a record fucking breaking tour. Right. Um, I think there's a, uh, there's many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. Some you can think of. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that she was not included often in this conversation. Right. I do think she, if we're gonna, if we're really gonna have to like put it between girlhood and womanhood, she is more like a womanhood. But yeah. why is that? Right. Yeah, so I, I I don't want someone to <laughs> easy <this> answer there. <laughs> well, <laughs> who gets to be a girl? Exactly, and I we'll don't, talk about that in a second. I want I want that I want people who are listening to know that like I I do want to recognize that Beyonce is taken out because Dylan Mulvaney is also a white right. woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't as much as I hate to say something is like maybe not mean, but certainly not nice. It's hard for me to get behind celebrating girlhood as this revolutionary thing when the people who are the figureheads of it are about as normative and ideal in our society as it's possible for a woman to be. That's not a failure on their part. Like it's not like I'm saying that Taylor Swift needs to like stop being straight or (laughs) gain 40 pounds or whatever. Um, It like, it's not a failure. It just tells me that this isn't as subversive as it could be. Yeah, I think I think it's super telling that the girlhood hood trend didn't really get going until the heiress tour when Dylan Mulvaney was right there. Right. Uh, Taylor Swift and Barbie are still the idealized woman mm-hmm. or girl or whatever in our culture. So it's really, really easy to identify with that and embrace that mm-hmm. where it's not as really, really easy to do that with Dylan Mulvaney because I don't know why. If Dil- you – the thing is – If you identify with Taylor Swift and Barbie and you are a cis white woman, you don't have to question anything. Whereas if you, if you try to embrace the girlhood that Dylan Mulvaney is embracing, you have to accept that girlhood isn't based on your gender assigned at birth. And for cis women, no matter how like inclusive they aim to be, if you've never interrogated what your gender is, that can be scary. I also want to point out that I haven't thought too much about this, but I think it's important to note that um, in the beginning of the Eras tour, there was a huge issue with mean girls. Mm -hmm. Like people being like looking at their costumes, like you're weird, you're weird. Mm -hmm. To the point where Taylor Swift was out liking comments of saying that you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And like it it changed very, very quickly, but it did start out with that mean girl, those mean girls. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it all to me just sits in, in this, basket and yeah sucks (laughs) it's shitty little basket i love taylor swift i love barbie um but it's still there's a lot going on uh another thing that's important to note here is that not everybody gets to have a girlhood for a variety of reasons people who are assigned male at birth are one example but so are black girls assigned female Mm -hmm. at birth this is a quote from girlhood interrupted the erasure of black girls childhood by rebecca epstein jamelia j blake and thalia gonzalez um it's just the wrong size for me to scroll easily across all age rate across all age rate i'm so sorry across all age ranges participants viewed black girls collectively as more adult than white girls responses revealed in particular that participants perceived black girls as needing less protection and nurturing than white girls and that black girls were perceived to know more about adult topics and are more knowledgeable about sex than their white peers the most significant differences were found in the age brackets that encompass mid childhood and early adolescence ages 5 through 9 and 10 to 14 and continued to a lesser degree in the 15 to 19 year old age 
age bracket. No statistically significant differences were found in the age group zero to four. That is, beginning as early as five years of age, black girls were more likely to be viewed as behaving and seeming older than their stated age, more knowledgeable about adult topics, including sex, and more likely to take on adult roles and responsibilities than what would have been expected for their age. So this is another reason why I get frustrated with the idea that girlhood is represented by Barbie and Taylor Swift. For some people, yes, that's true and accurate. It may be true and accurate for many black women as well. But why is that the standard? When we talk about stolen girlhoods, we should be talking about the fact that as early as five years old, black girls are denied childhood. Black girls are literally being denied childhood innocence. It may be a problem across racial lines on an individual level, but the study reveals an, a rampant problem with treating black girl, black children, girls specifically, as if not adults, significantly older than they are. I had a note here and in the note I said, I don't know if this is where this note should be, but this conversation made me think about it because we are talking about race and white supremacy. And I don't know if conservatives and Republicans are internet savvy enough to do this, but what if you hear it all the time? Let kids be kids. Mm -hmm. What if that's being used specifically for these reasons? Mm -hmm. Is it? I don't know. Because right. I feel like you would have to have some type of grasp on like internet culture to be trying to do it. it failed. I think it failed. Um, but, but I do wonder if it, if it, they're, they're harnessing that don't think. Mm-hmm. And it's also com- trying, like, Monster Liberty are tra- attempting to completely erase queerness mm-hmm. and anything that's not white. So I'm, it's one of those things as I'm reading through. So I'm like, did they, it, is this a campaign in which they have literally tried to, use internet culture against itself Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah it's hard to say i don't Um, know if they're smart enough for that (laughs) but i also don't want to like be like oh they're just dumb so we don't have to worry about them right um again this this whole thing like this idea of black girls children's being black girls childhoods being stolen by white supremacy this is not like taylor swift or barbie's fall right they didn't invent this problem but it is a reason why thin white cis able-bodied beauty is celebrated as an ideal of girlhood that's why i have to ask whose girlhood when we talk about celebrating girlhood it's not my girlhood which is fine i'm a cis white woman i've got other options right <laughs> Uh, but it's also not the girlhood of Dylan Mulvaney or other trans people, nor the countless black girls who don't get to be seen as children because of racism. And I want to be clear, that's not to say that trans girls or black girls or girls of any kind can't identify with the embracing of girlhood represented by Taylor Swift and Barbie. They can do whatever they want, whatever makes them feel good and validated, right? I just question the celebration of these two figures as subversive representations of a universal experience because they aren't. Some this something interesting that happened within like the algorithm of taylor swift um some people were were calling this out right mm-hmm. i even said to taylor swift the the fan base is very white which it objectively is true mm-hmm. um but what it ended up happening for a lot of people who are not white was like okay and now you're erasing us even more mm-hmm. and so it's a hard it, it is difficult to it's not necessarily difficult to talk about, but it's difficult to talk about and still make sure you're not erasing. Right. You're erasing non-white people's experience because then they feel like, well, I guess I'm really not here. Am I? Yeah. That's why, that's why I want to make it clear that like, this I'm saying like these people don't represent girlhood as broadly as people suggest they do, but that doesn't mean that people who aren't represented by them can't also embrace the kind of femininity and girlhood that they represent. Yeah. Like do whatever you want. Right. Like, Again, I'm not the fucking girl police, 
right? I, I I'm not again here to gatekeep gaslight girl boss your way out of being a girl. I'm I my beef is with the idea that these are universal symbols of universal girlhood when they very much are not or that they are subversive. I cannot think of anything less subversive than a Barbie doll. Or right? Taylor Swift. Or Taylor Swift. Like <laughs> maybe if, I don't know. I'm sure you could find something in there. I could probably make a make an argument about it, but no. It's just like yeah, it's that's just not it. <laughs> um, do you have anything else to say about girlhood before we move on to I womanhood? I have so much to say, <laughs> but we talked about a lot of it. Yeah. This was, I, before we even saw Barbie, I think this was like some because uh, the Taylor Swift is yeah, the Taylor. It Swift was going thing. through my head of like, you know, there's the. I think I even said this to my therapist. I love the idea of embracing your girlhood and your childhood and taking that back, but I hate it so white. Literally, <laughs> like embracing girlhood and embracing my child self is something I have to do as part of my therapy. Like I'm not against this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just. Uh, Who's girlhood? I right? think, too, it was a little bit easier for me to interrogate it because I don't re- necessarily feel that, like, embracing of girlhood, but I sure as fuck love seeing the content it creates. Like, sure. I love seeing – I loved seeing people going to Taylor Swift concerts and being like, I don't feel afraid. Mm-hmm. Or – um Go like showing up outside the stadium with a bunch of people you don't fucking know and, and exchanging and, friendship and exchanging friends like I love that. Do I necessarily relate to that? Maybe if I had more Taylor Swift fans, but that would uh, Taylor Swift fans in my friend group, but that would be because of my friends, right? So while I think it's so, I think it's a little bit easier for for me than to. I think if somebody really feels this way, it might be harder for them to interrogate it. I'm yeah. a crotchety old hag. Miss, yeah, so. you miss you, miss you. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I love seeing like, not that Missy doesn't, but I love seeing people excited. I don't. I uh, fucking hate it. I'm literally <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. And I think, well, I think part of it too that I'll mention is that these, I'm going to talk specifically about Taylor Swift fans, the Swifties. Taylor Swift does a lot to connect with her fans, and there's a lot to talk about there. But one of the things that she's very big on is embrace the cringe. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of these women and girls who are finally, like, allowed to say no, I want to go wear a pink outfit and go to Taylor Swift concert and, and, like, wear exchange friendship bracelets. Mm -hmm. That's their way of embracing the cringe. Yes. Because... there's so much discourse that Taylor Swift fans are cringy and they would probably be like, and? Yeah. Whereas they're just any other fan, ba- like hyper. Hey, everybody, <laughs> we're all fucking cringe. Yeah. Every goddamn one of yeah. us is cringe. I mean, the, co- the, the argument often used is sports fans, right? Mm-hmm. Sports fans are often stereotypically male. If you're an Eagles fan, you're probably going to destroy the city no matter <laughs> if they, if your team wins or loses. Just look at soccer games, right? They're just as, just, just as wild and crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's often women specifically Taylor Swift fans that are being called out for crying at the concert, being excited Mm -hmm. to see her. And like, there's a lot to say about that, but I think that it's more than just Taylor Swift being in front of you, right? It's what she represents. When I go to Disneyland and I walk through underneath the, the bridge and I see the, like the Disney quote, I like I'll tear up. I cry. And it's not Disneyland. It's like what this is representing to me. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> we can and we will. Yeah. Um, so while girlhood might be the thing being celebrated throughout Barbie, I think the movie is really about womanhood. Um, throughout, Barbie grows from being sort of a mindless, but not stupid, uh, participant in her life to someone with agency. I feel 
conflicted naturally about her quote unquote womanhood being announced with her going to a gynecologist because she presumably has a vagina, not because there's anything wrong with having a vagina, but because equating womanhood with a vagina is just kind of a letdown. Her womanhood wasn't really denied at any point in the movie or anything. I was just hoping for a growth into individuality that wasn't represented by genitalia. Anyway, let's talk about womanhood. I do want to point out that I read a few things about what Greta Gerwig said about that. And Mm -hmm. she and she explicitly said not that this there can't be more meaning to this. Like she felt shame and she wanted to make sure other people didn't feel shame. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was to her. But also, you know, unconscious bias and stuff. Right. Um, so this is a quote from The Resurgence of the Monstrous Feminine by Hannah Williams, who writes, To be a woman is to be feared, to know fear, to hold the two simultaneously within yourself, to know that your body, by the sheer fact of its existence, will be terrified by the society that claims to be terrorized by it, that the patriarchy deems women's bodies so awful, so monstrous, that it seeks to limit and control their power. These people are not these people not only hate women, but are afraid of them, scared of the capacity for women's bodies to be unruly, unclean, unknowable. Despite the sheer and uncommunicable amount of violence enacted upon the female body throughout history, it's woman as terrorizer, as beast that we keep coming back to. What better way to justify the ways in which we break her? So Barbie is very much not about the monstrous feminine that Williams writes about here. <laughs> Williams is talking about the way society constructs women as monstrous if they don't comply with ideals of beauty and behavior, or even if they do, because while we can shave our body hair and cover our skin and makeup, many of us menstruate, many of our bodies don't comply, etc., but there is still relevance in what Williams says. In some senses, she's in conversation with the speech that America Ferreira's Gloria gives in Barbie. Gloria explains the impossibility of being a woman in modern society, while Williams explains the horror of it. I found Gloria's monologue to be effective, but it didn't really appeal to me, which is okay. Not everything has to be for the audience of me, Melissa Brinks. Certain, certainly there are going to be people who hear what she says and feel truth in it for the first time, right? This may be something they've never considered. Or, as Michelle Goldberg writes in The Hunger Fed by Barbie and Taylor Swift, quote, The important part of this monologue, spoilers ahead, is not only what it articulates, but what it accomplishes. Gloria's words wake up Barbies whom the Kens have brainwashed into submission. Quote, By giving voice to the cognitive dissonance required to be a woman under the patriarchy, you robbed it of its power, unquote, exclaims the film's heroine, stereotypical Barbie played by Margot Robbie. It's consciousness raising as magic, and ultimately, as difficult as being an adult woman is, Robbie's Barbie chooses it over remaining in the sexless girlhood ideal of Barbie land, as we learn in the film's perfect last line. This is important, right? (laughs) But there was something missing from it for me, which is maybe because I've been reading about feminism for what feels like one million years, and the monologue therefore wasn't for me, which is fine. Again, not everything has to be for me. But there's this common argument that because it is for somebody, it can't go beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I think we can have something more simple, such as Gloria's speech, and then go a step further with it. And I think that the movie is inviting us to, like we said in the beginning, inviting us to that. This is, this is, this is a great example of the spoon fed yes. that they're giving you. Yes. Because I also, like, I heard, I heard the, we, we were watching the monologue and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't affected like other people were, where people were crying in the, f- and like, that's totally cool. This is another yeah. em- embrace the cringe, I suppose. Yes. But, um, but the movie is inviting you to look at more of that. And mm-hmm. so I do think that we should. Yeah. Um, the thing that works for me about Williams's writing, the 
the part about the monstrous feminine, uh, is that women are not actually perfect angel beings wronged by patriarchy. We don't have to be perfect angel beings who are beautiful and pretty and hairless to be deserving of equal treatment. I don't care if Barbie is so pretty and perfect and therefore it's outrageous that she also has to feel broken and sad because she can't measure up to our standards for womanhood. Gloria's point, as I understand it, is that the standards are unfair. But William's point takes it a step further. It's not just that these standards are unfair, but that these standards Standards make us into dehumanized monsters when we fail. Even Taylor Swift feels like a monster on the hill. <laughs> Watching the sexy babies. <laughs> sexy um, babies. There wasn't space to quote it here, but there's a great essay by J.A. Micheline in Becoming Dangerous about how as a black woman, the rituals that make white women feel interesting and dangerous don't resonate with her because unlike them, she's already seen as dangerous. It's a great essay and one we're thinking about when we talk about women, especially white women wanting to embody monstrousness and violence and so on. It's not that they can't or shouldn't do that, but that these things aren't universal and we shouldn't treat them as such. So in essence, the point I'm getting at here is that while Gloria's monologue may be eye-opening for women who haven't had the unreasonable standards put to words yet, that's generally a really privileged group overall, right? Yeah. Which means that while this might have been a great moment for our mothers or whatever, it doesn't go any further than that and it easily could have. And I want to be clear that I don't think that that is that it's bad, right? Much like I feel about hiring, having Hari Neff or one of the actors with disabilities or one of the actors of color or one of the fat actors play Barbies. I don't think it's bad. I am happy that they are there. They should be there. But I think that's a minimum. I think exposing women who haven't experienced feminist rhetoric to it is good, though I doubt at, it's 2023. I doubt that most women haven't heard this at some point in their lives. The, the exception is the kids watching. Right. Yeah. And even then, we could probably make some point. But the but yeah. the kids who are seeing this for the first time and having to like interrogate, like, what is she saying? That, right. That's cool. Yeah. Um. Maybe they haven't heard this directly, but still. But it can be better two, right? The two here is important. We can have this and we can also have more. Uh, You know, we don't have to stop at the fact that it requires cognitive dissonance to be a woman in modern society. Mm -hmm. Take it one step further. Talk about race. Talk about how gender isn't necessarily tied to the body. Talk about ability. It's not just about being pretty and nice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is a quote from Barbie's Legacy is Important. It's, It's also incredibly complicated by Natalia Melman- Petrozella. Um, All the fawning over Barbie reminds me of a question New York Times editor Jessica Bennett posed last year of the feminist reclaiming of another booksome blonde 20th century icon, Pamela Anderson, who is often compared to Barbie and had her own doll made in 1991. Is it not possible that our current appetite for redemption films about figures such as Anderson, Britney Spears, and yes, Barbie is an excuse to objectify these women yet again, albeit now with a self-righteous gloss of feminist virtue? Pamela Anderson did not want the movie made about her Mm -hmm. the tv show made about her yeah i think that's important for people to know because the the movie definitely either show that basically paints her that i didn't finish it but definitely kind of does exactly this Mm -hmm. and she did not like not that part specifically right but she did not want this this tv show made about her right this is a really interesting point to me especially because the quote-unquote redemption of these women is often reimagining them as smart and sharp businesswomen But their value, in my opinion, exists outside of that. You don't have to be traditionally intelligent or educated to be worthy of equality. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like we all deserve to be treated as human beings, even if we have never picked up a book in our lives. I don't care if Britney Spears is a secret genius. She did not deserve and does not deserve to be treated the way that she is, right? I think the Britney Spears one is extremely interesting because we went through this redemption of her, right? And we all fought for her to get out of her conservatorship mm-hmm. and for her to be like in control of her own life. And now she is, right? And she's not acting how people want her to mm-hmm. and she the, the questions being asked like maybe that t- she did need it one of the i saw a tweet the other day from um someone that was talking about this and so britney spears loves to dance in scantily clad um outfits mm-hmm. sometimes with knives um and she you know she's not young anymore right right so she looks like a woman mm-hmm. she's she's not yet a woman she is a woman now <laughs> um and she gets People are just like super cringe on it. Mm-hmm. Well, he brought up all of her old music videos and like, this is how she's been dancing from the beginning. Right. So what does that say about mm-hmm. how, we want the redemption of a woman to look a very specific way? Mm-hmm. And that for me is where like Brit- the Britney Spears example really pulls it apart. This apart for me because she's not acting the way that we want her to exactly and she's gone through a lot and i think it's important to understand that and it's important to know that she can still be a bad person right like it doesn't her intelligence or whatever has no bearing on the fact that she deserves like human treatment right like People want to act as if, no, actually, she's secretly smart. She might very well be. I don't know her. The important thing is that she deserves human treatment because she's a fucking human. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, There's a certain reimagining of Barbie going on with the Barbie movie, like the claim that Barbie went to the moon before a man did. Um, In The Plastic Feminism of Barbie, a video by Verily Bitchy, the host points out that, quote unquote, the moon is actually added retrospectively. The original astronaut Barbie promo only talked about going to space and a real woman actually went to space something like four years prior to the development of astronaut Barbie, right? It's only a reimagining that says she went to the moon before a man. Um in, in the 90s, you had Barbie saying things like math class is hard, but now we want to imagine her as being smart all along because she's a doctor slash lawyer slash president, etc. Does it really matter if Barbie is smart? Like, truly, does it matter if Barbie is smart? I don't think it does. A, because she's a doll. <laughs> and B, because it benefits Mattel, something we'll talk about more later, that we conflate intelligence with worth because intelligence slash business savvy, savvy slash etc. tie into our capitalist understanding of value. I had a not hard time reading this, but a conflicting time reading this because and and I feel like I'm the way I'm saying, as I'm like working out in my head, I'm like, no, I'm literally saying what we shouldn't do. But, but I, I'm, I'm having a girl, and like when I, when I'm raising her, I don't necessarily want her to think being dumb is okay. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that that's what that's doing, right? But I want her to see like you can be a lawyer, you can be those things. But also, how do you, how do you do exactly? So like, you don't have to be smart. To, like, to be, if you're not a doctor, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe like. I wouldn't want her to watch the the math is hard. Right. But I would want her to watch math is hard. I got tutored and now I can do it. Yeah. Math is hard, but I'm learning. Yeah. So I think it's it's extremely difficult. Like, I have this totally different mindset now of like, well, how am I going to raise my child? Mm-hmm. And this is a really good example of like, oh, God, that's going to be really difficult. It's hard. <laughs> it's going to be really fun. I guess being a parent is hard. Yeah. But like, I don't want to have my kid watch something that says math is hard I'm, uh-huh. or even even um what is it computer programmer barbie who mm-hmm. didn't even make 
the 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 program that she was working on. I I remember hearing about that, but I don't remember the specifics. Yeah, something like that. I think uh, her male friends helped her finish it or some, mm-hmm. something like that. Like, even that's kind of sketchy, right? So it, it's it's hard and it's difficult. I think this conversation is a really difficult conversation um, that could go on forever. Mm-hmm. Truly. Because it, it's true. Your intelligence shouldn't equal your worth. But do I want children's media to be saying it's okay to be dumb? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I think it is. Right. But do I want a kid growing up Thinking, I don't know, it doesn't matter if I'm dumb. Right. But does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's difficult. Yeah. No, for sure. He, your human worth comes from being human, not from the yeah. value you bring to society. But that's a com- that has to be it. That's a complex idea to explain to a child. You have worth no matter what your intelligence is because the, <laughs> the emphasis on intelligence is part of our capitalist culture that <laughs> wants you to provide value to society, but actually your value is intrinsic. You can never forget that. A lot of a lot of people have their little girls specifically do affirmations every morning. That's mm-hmm. going to be my kid's affirmation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I exist in a capitalist society and I have value regardless of what... what what co- what I contribute to the economy. Exactly. I bet you that's Gloria's daughter's affirmation for <laughs> well, I loved watching this with Missy because as we get further and further into the movie, she's like, I just am the daughter. <laughs> yeah, who gets completely defanged by the end of the movie. This is true. It was Taming of the Shrew, was it not? <sighs> Truly. Um, this is another quote from Barbie's Legacy is Important. It's also incredibly complicated by Natalia Melman. Petrozella, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. Um, it can be hard to unravel exactly what is going on, especially as quote unquote bimbo feminists, self-described quote unquote leftists with their tits out, celebrate plastic surgery and condemn academic elitism, a stance that can be hard to distinguish from a retrograde endorsement of busty airheads. High femininity and hardcore feminism are hardly incompatible, but the danger in such formulations has always been confusing the crop tops and lip injections for liberation itself, when a patriarchal society is often far more comfortable embracing the sexy trappings while leaving underlying power structures intact." Woof, as a yeah. long sentence, excuse me. Barbie has often symbolized such hollow emancipation. In 2016, Peggy, journalist Peggy Ornstein found that college women celebrated casual sex as empowering, but were deeply insecure about quote unquote genital self image. Mm-hmm. The ideal, a quote unquote Barbie vagina, achievable by cosmetic surgery that made the outer labia appear fused together, just like the plastic doll. So we're going to get a little sticky here, as if we haven't already. Um, I think people deserve bodily autonomy, which includes cosmetic surgery. But I don't know that cosmetic surgery or even something less invasive like clothing or makeup are themselves liberation. We can do them in a way that isn't for men, something we've talked about in the past, but I don't know that they are themselves liberating. I think about this a lot for myself. Um, I am a K-beauty convert because I want to wear less makeup, right? That One of the many things that people emphasize with K-beauty is that you get your skin looking so nice that foundation and stuff isn't necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, And also... Because I'm a cheap, I don't want to spend money on makeup. It's expensive, um, especially now. Yeah, so so that's part of the reason that I like Korean beauty products. But trying to make my skin look a certain way, like I'm still adhering to beauty standards, right? Absolutely, that's the trend right now. Yeah, my clothes aren't always what you might find at a department store, but they are still fashionable in their way. I would be lying if I said I didn't wish to be a little thinner so my clothes fit more like they do on models. But if I changed my body, whether through exercise or new clothes or shapewear or cosmetic surgery or whatever method, that would not be liberating, right? 
it would only be making it so I do not have to worry about those issues anymore. I am not liberated from them. I just don't have to think about them. So one of the things I thought about while reading this part was I follow this fashion. I wouldn't call her a fashion blogger. She's a tic- or fashion TikToker. She, but she works in fashion. I guess she is. Anyways, she wears clothes. She wears uh, very expensive <laughs> clothes that she often gets secondhand mm-hmm. um, and that don't flatter her body. And she often gets like, that doesn't look good on you, doesn't flatter your body. And she has to explain like, I know. And it's, it's, it's not even that like, it's a conscious decision that I'm choosing things to not flatter my body, like something like Billie Eilish had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she had an eating disorder mm-hmm. and she was in recovery. She's, I mean, you're always in recovery after an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And she embraced just wearing clothes she likes, mm-hmm. not because they're baggy, not because they're felt flattering. She likes ugly shit and mm-hmm. like, I'm sure she likes weird fucking shoes mm-hmm. that make you look like you have camel hooves. <laughs> um, but I thought it's really interesting because she, it's not about subverting like what looks good. It's, it's literally about herself and what right. makes her feel good. It's, it's, it's not a liberation thing, right? It's about this is part of my recovery. Yes. When I like thinking again about myself, I look younger than I am with the exception of my, uh, very distinguished graying temples. Uh, I look younger than I am. I don't have a lot of fine lines, um, especially around my eyes. Uh, and that makes me look younger than I am. And sometimes I think about that and I go, I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. Why am I lucky? She's so lucky. <laughs> it's <laughs> The fact that I think I'm lucky tells me that I am invested in youth as a as emblematic of like some quality right mm-hmm. i am not if i got botox to get rid of fine lines i it might make me feel better right but it does nothing to liberate me from beauty standards even if it's a female doctor doing it even if it's a female <laughs> doctor doing it um and as Petrozella points out this impacts educated women too who we like to think know better because they're educated like are you kidding me with this barbie vagina thing what a kind of toxic ideology is telling us our labia shouldn't show like and that's outer labia like we know people get upset about their inner labia showing but our outer labia they're outer they're meant to be out there surgery to fix these things like like your labia um might make you feel better momentarily but it definitely isn't liberating us from the standards that make us feel like shit in the first place and unfortunately standards will eventually just make us feel like feel like shit about something else especially as standards change think about the people who got brazilian butt lifts to keep up with a standard of beauty based on the bodies of black women but naturally not leaving any space for black black women to be the ideal looking at the kardashians um but now that kind of beauty is going out of fashion, right? Like Brazilian butt lifts are no longer the thing. Um, it is in capitalism's best interest to keep us feeling inadequate at all times, but that's getting ahead of myself. I would love to see some type of like, like academic study into, I'm sure, like, I'm sure there is, there's going to be a bunch, but like the pandemic and inflation affected that type of beauty, mm-hmm. not even just like spending the money on it right mm-hmm. but the but the over like i think about if like um expl- like comparing it to the 80s yuppies mm-hmm. versus grunge right like i'm, I'm really curious i i believe that politics and and uh, the economy are really something that affects that mm-hmm. um i think it's really interesting and i can't wait to like hear someone's like deep research into how the economy affected 
things like the Kardashians. Like, yeah. there's a lot that you can talk about the Kardashians. There's so much I could get going on a tangent. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, 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 it's so interesting. Yeah. So this is a quote from Barbie used to be everything wrong with patriarchal beauty ideals. Feminist professor says, now she's closer to queer camp, which is written <laughs> by Carol Hay. Um, who writes, the feminist philosopher Judith Butler argues that gender isn't some deeply rooted metaphysical fact. It's something people perform via their mannerisms, clothing, and behavior. Butler says everyone can stand to take a lesson from drag queens who understand that there's nothing fundamental behind the smoke and mirrors, nothing to gender above and beyond what the audience thinks of the show. In the words of RuPaul, perhaps the most famous drag queen of all, you're born naked and the rest is drag. I mean, I love drag race. <laughs> I mean, how much better would it be if the roles of Barbie, like quote unquote Barbie and quote unquote Ken, didn't feel so rigid? Mm-hmm. Barbie and Ken is literally how they're made, the molds used to shape their bodies, assuming that's what happens in Barbie land. It's hard to say. Um, but why is that what they have to be, right? Barbie transcends her doll status at the end of the movie, but what about everybody else? I'm sure having quote unquote just Ken be quote unquote Ken Barbie at the end of the movie would or something would have been, you know, too political for Mattel. But the idea of transcending the role you're assigned is exactly what I think the movie needed to needed to go beyond the basic. I accept the basic, but I won't praise it as revolutionary because I don't believe that it is. <laughs> Remind me when people get got really upset and me as well. Uh when at the end of um the sequel trilogy, Ray calls herself Ray Skywalker. Right. No, she's just Ray. She's just Ray. Um, this is a quote from Social Critique fr- from Archivist Ken by Isaac Fellman, who writes, Robbie's Barbie is a perfect encapsulation of how a normal, mild transphobe, not someone who loathes or fears trans people, but someone who hasn't thought very hard about the role gender plays in their own lives, imagines a trans woman being. She lives in an unrealistic fantasy of womanhood until emerging from Barbie land into reality, at which point she finds that womanhood is messy, your body ages, you aren't paid well, you have to go to the gynecologist, and so forth. She is never imagined it would be this way before quote-unquote coming out into the real world she's lived a life of uncomplicated privilege and once again she has no idea that this is the case when she compares her of her lot sorry when she complains of her lot she's told the variant of the world will weary welcome to being a woman line that so many trans women are used to hearing the overall vibe is that if only people knew what being a woman entails they wouldn't want to live as a as women although womanhood is also superior and desirable I, I mean, this this is where my original thought of what if Midge um, was the one who went out into the world and learned <laughs> how she had to give birth. Um, terrifying. Yeah. Um, I, if you've never learned about what giving birth entails, don't. <laughs> There's so many products that you wear in the diaper you have to wear for weeks. Let's just put it that way. I almost would rather have a C-section. I, that is an extremely controversial thing to say in in the world of giving birth. But I almost, I don't know, I kind of, it's not even almost at this point. There's so much I can destroy. Anyways. Um, this is a difficult article to quote because every piece of Feldman's argument is good and interesting and necessary to the next. So please bear with me with this out of context quote not being the complete picture. The reason I quoted it, regardless of the fact that lacking context, it isn't as strong, is because I think it's worth thinking about. If Barbie hasn't experienced womanhood the way that a real world woman, or if we want Feldman's argument to hit a little harder, a quote unquote real woman, which is just code for a quote unquote cis woman. So if Barbie hasn't experienced womanhood the way a real world woman does, is she really a woman at all? 
what is a woman outside of gender-based oppression, right? What is a woman who hasn't been catcalled, harassed, touched without consent? Welcome to being a woman is, if not literally, then nearly what Gloria says to Barbie at one point. But fuck, man, is that really what being a woman is? right? Of course not. Surely we can imagine something better than that. Surely we can identify a womanhood that exists outside of oppression. The idea of being a woman as being oppressed makes me fucking depressed, right? <laughs> like, that's not what being a woman is to me. Um, I want to ask a question about the beginning of this quote. Um, I understand what it's saying, but I maybe I want more context. Um, the calling it a transphobe? Mm-hmm. I... I and I am tell me if I'm right using that word transphobe because she's not considering anything other than traditional stereotypical woman is mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily like you are specifically being a transphobic. I so it's not that Barbie is a transphobe. Okay. It's Robbie's portrayal of Barbie is the way that a normal transphobe, like the kind of person who isn't hateful, but who just doesn't understand, you know, what it is to be transgender. That's how they imagine a transphobe. I being. see. She's naive. She doesn't know what it means to be a woman. And part of the way that her womanhood is established is through oppression. She isn't a woman until she gets catcalled. Okay. So it's not calling Margot Robbie or correct. the movie. Okay. That's correct. That, as far, that's how I write, reading it at first. I'm like, I don't, that, that seems like a big thing to say. No, no, no. It's, it's the fact that the way Robbie's Barbie is constructed is the way that a transphobe, a garden variety transphobe that you might meet any day, not like a hardcore turf on Twitter or whatever. Um, it's the way that that kind of transphobe thinks about trans women. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's this sort of, there's this sort of fair way that Gloria and Sasha treat Barbie as naive about womanhood because like she's a doll, right? (laughs) But that sense of fairness is a little icky, right? Why is Barbie's sense of womanhood somehow diminished because she hasn't experienced gender-based oppression until now? She's a woman regardless of what oppression she has or hasn't faced. Ugh. This also like <laughs> feeds into like what is a woman because Barbie has no genitals. Barbie right. can't give I mean eventually she gets them, but she can't give birth. Right. She can't do these things that many people say. When they, when many horrible people say, when they're trying to say, well, a woman is this, this, and mm-hmm. this, she doesn't fit that. Right. Um, like Fellman, I don't think this is intentional, right? I don't think that the movie is trying to be transphobic in this weird sideways way, but it does smack of never having had to think about what gender is or where it comes from to me. And that's where the movie really doesn't hold together as a celebration of womanhood or girlhood or similar ideas. Because it seems to establish that womanhood only exists if you're being oppressed, right? That's not the point it's trying to make. But it's establishing, like, Barbie doesn't understand what it means to be a woman until she gets her ass slapped and she gets catcalled. And I think it's, I think it's, I don't think this was a conscious decision made, right, Mm -hmm. by the filmmakers. I think it's just something that comes naturally because it is the world we we experience. And if you're not, there's a lot that that was interrogated in this. And so obviously not everything can be, but this is one that maybe should have been. Yeah. Like the, the point the movie is making is not, is not Barbie isn't a woman. It's, this is what womanhood is really like. Mm -hmm. Why? Right. I'm, I was a woman before the first time I got catcalled. Well, and I, I, it's, it gets complicated because I feel like isn't Barbie world, Barbie land, that place, mm-hmm. but it's still a different place. Right. 
heterotopia. Heterotopia. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Barbie I- is a Barbie is a fucking woman before she gets catcalled, after she gets catcalled, and the fact that her womanhood is kind of in question because she hasn't experienced oppression drives me fucking batty. Maybe it would have been more effective to say welcome to the patriarchy. Yeah. Or even capitalism. Right. Um, I think maybe that would have been more effective because it is kind of like, it reminds me of um, millennials struggling financially Mm -hmm. and older people saying, well, welcome to being an adult. Mm -hmm. Or if someone hates their job and doesn't want to give their whole life, well, welcome to being an adult. Why? Why do I have to give my whole self to my job? Why? As Fellman suggests, like, this is something that's said to a lot of trans women who experience, you know, gender-based oppression, and then they want to talk about it, and then cis women go, welcome to being a woman. And then walk away. fuck that, actually. Like, fuck that, actually. This is a terrible way to think about being a woman. I don't want my womanhood to be based on oppression. I don't want anybody to be experiencing oppression, right? And then it becomes the oppression Olympics. Right. It's... Icky. And then white women are like, but I'm oppressed too. And yeah, it gets complicated. There is no acceptable way to be a woman. It is unacceptable to be unabashedly traditionally feminine. It is unacceptable to not be unabashedly, unabashedly traditionally feminine. You simply cannot win. And that to me is the trap of being a woman. Yes, it sucks that Barbie is treated poorly because she's hyper feminine. And it also sucks that weird Barbie is treated poorly because she's different. I can't really say she's not feminine because she is. It's just a different kind of femininity. But what do we would you say that she's non-binary? I don't think so. What do you think makes her feminine? I mean, she's a woman. It's hard because we haven't established in Barbie land if there are trans women mm-hmm. or even non-binary women. But I think there could. I haven't thought about it. I think you could. I think you could choose to read Weird Barbie that way. But like Barbie's body is not actually Weird Barbie's body is not actually a choice that she made. That's true. She embraces it. That's true. She was played too roughly with. But at times, it seems to cause her pain because she's ostracized from society and she gets apologized at the end of the movie yeah. for that yeah um like what do we do with people who don't get to be considered women at all because other people like them haven't experienced an adequate amount of gender-based oppression right like what do this this idea of basing womanhood on experiencing oppression is so fucking depressing that i can't handle it and it leaves out just a, well, just a lot of people you know just yeah. a lot of people I think people are going to push back on us for this conversation. <laughs> That's fine. Um, this is something I really found useful in the comment section to explaining the hyperfemininity aesthetic by Mina Lee. Um, a comment from who knows at this point, 7508 <laughs> says, I really agree that femininity needs to stop being demonized. But as someone who actually took the time to explore femininity and relearn that I didn't like it, people really do need to stop assuming that unlearning internalized misogyny means learning to like being feminine. Mm-hmm. It becomes a full circle of forcing girls to be femme to be accepted again. Yeah. I love this comment because it rings so true to my experience. I am a very feminine woman, right? I remember one time a friend who I don't see in person super often came over and said something like, I love how every time I see you, you look more and more like a 40s housewife. (laughs) This is part of my journey as a woman because as I've discussed, I at times resented the fact that I was expected to be feminine. But this comment hits the nail on the head. Not liking feminine things does not mean you are not being a woman right. You can be a hyperfem woman. You can be a mask woman. You can be neither. You can be both as the mood strikes you. One of the things that bugs me about this whole celebrating girlhood thing is that it emphasizes this hyperfem look at the ex- 
like it, this hyper feminine take at the exclusion of everything else. We need to understand that celebrating girlhood or womanhood can be more than just pink and Taylor Swift and rhinestones. A dislike for those things does not mean internalized misogyny. It can, but it doesn't have to. And we should be wary of putting ourselves into a box to escape a different box, right? Yeah, I think this this harkens back to like what helped me with this is it's I don't want equality, I want liberation. Yes, I want to be liberated from boxes in the first place. Yeah, no pink boxes. Different pink and blue and green and yellow. Yeah. And weird ugly colors. And yeah. All the weird boxes. ugly colors. <laughs> Give me all the bo- boxes. Um do you have anything else to say about that? Uh, there's a lot to say. There's so much. There's a lot to there's say so but much. No. Uh let's talk about capitalism. Baby. I know that nobody wants to hear about how this movie is not feminist because it's designed to tell, sell toys. I 100% believe there are plenty of people who <laughs> want to hear about that. And many of them listen to our podcast. I know it's the kind of thing that we all know, but that we have to set aside to enjoy fucking anything in this bitch of a world. But we do have to talk about it because this movie is not just selling us toys. It's doing it in a way that it's really, really easy to feel good about because so many jokes are made to let us in on the cynicism of it all, like about Margot Robbie's casting or the reference to patriarchy or the all-male boardroom. It goes further than that. It's tempting to think that the movie has two goals. Mattel wants to sell Barbies and Barbie products, and Gerwig wants to tell a compelling story. In fact, I think those two goals are united. However noble Gerwig's goals, the movie wouldn't get made if it didn't sufficiently fulfill Mattel's goals. And let's remember, as we discussed in our Spice World episode, that it behooves capitalism, patriarchy, etc. to absorb and sell critique of itself, so even something that attempts to subvert can still further the goals of whatever ideology it's subverting. Let's say we already did the bit about how the movie was made to sell toys, because you already know that, right? I do want to point out, and we don't have to talk about it, but there... The link between okay, so the boardroom—they were dumb men, right? Mm-hmm. But we just talked about how dumb doesn't t- make you worthless. Mm-hmm. But they felt worthless. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just—they des- were clearly designed that way, so we wouldn't see them as a threat. But um, I just made what that. a thing to do, right? Right. It's it's very it it is Greta Gerwig did it, and it benefits Mattel. I that was the point in the movie where I actually got angry. <laughs> I was actually bad. It's because you wanted them to give more attention to Adam. That is so true. <laughs> My dear son, Adam, grew up and is working at Mattel. And I'm so proud of him. He's such a good boy. Um, but, but for real, that the only part of the yeah. movie I think that made me actively angry was any of the Mattel, the boardroom stuff. It, I was I, I was angry. It did <laughs> While the movie isn't necessarily about capitalism, it is about capitalism. Um, that part really... It was funny, but it, if I, like, I wasn't angry, right? But it left a bad taste in my mouth of, mm-hmm. like, I know what you're trying to do, and I almost felt for it. <laughs> that makes me mad. You almost felt what? I almost fell for it, oh, and yeah, that yeah. makes me mad. Um, cause it's like, there's something wrong here, right? But what is it? Oh, it just must be because there are no women and they're dumb. Um, but no. It also defangs. Yeah. These, like the people in the people who run Mattel are actually threats to us. They are threats <laughs> to the world. It's they true. are not just bumbling buffoons. Exactly. They are calculating people who feed on our insecurities and abuse real women. Not like I'm not like claiming that they're like domestic abusers, no. but like we'll get more into like the, the human rights abuses committed by Mattel. Yeah, but I think them using that like stupidity and mm-hmm. buffoonness is. It's hard because, like, I don't think it was Mattel saying, like, yeah, you should do this. Mm-hmm. But it benefited them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that they clearly didn't say no. 
They clearly didn't say no. Somebody said, actually, this is a really fucking good idea. Yep. And it probably said it because it's been done millions We're of woke. times. Exactly. Oh, I had another was like, uh, when talking about capitalism, I was like, oh, I just kept thinking like, go woke, go broke. Hey, hey, is that also used as a way to try to get us to buy things? Mm-hmm. Is that also being like used to get us? Just like, fuck this. <laughs> um, so in Feeling Cynical About Barbie by Brody Deschanel, um, she talks about the fact that there are reports that the marketing budget for Barbie was higher than the cost to actually make the movie. I so believe that. The the standard like amount is about 50% of the production cost. In the case of Barbie, the marketing budget was larger. Um in the video, she talks about Barbie as a film like, quote unquote, for kids, which is actually for adults, as it targets the people who are most likely to have children now or soon and makes them amenable to the to this failing brand. And it has over time been a failing brand. I have to say, I found this video so fucking refreshing because I have felt like a huge fucking buzzkill for not being as bowled over by Barbie. Even before, I was not excited. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't excited for Barbie, but everybody else was like, oh, I'm so excited for Barbie. And I'm like, I hope it's good. You know why? Because I'm a misogynist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have I have sincerely felt like a huge fucking buzzkill for not being bowled over by Barbie as much mm-hmm. as other people. Everybody's having such a good time, which is fine, and I like the movie. But the way that it basically eclipsed this entire summer makes me uncomfortable. Did you feel left out? Um, no. I think my pretentiousness comes out. <laughs> I, I I think I get a bit snobby about it. I, an intellectual, was not duped by the Barbie movie, I say with my nose in the air. Yeah. I feel that for me, because we have these conversations and other people um, that I was around were not, I it did kind of almost feel like I'm not being left out, but being the only voice... <laughs> In, in like at my work or something yeah. like, talking about this and I'm left out of how amazing this this movie is even though I think it's amazing I've cr- mm-hmm. criticized it and not everybody understands criticizing is okay I know not everybody not everybody gets this um hey I want you all to know it actually kind of sucks to be a huge fucking bummer all the time I don't want to be a bummer. It's you actively my, try not to be. It's not my goal in life to be a huge fucking bummer, but sometimes I am a bummer. Hence an entire section about how we liked the movie. Yeah. I don't want to be a bummer. I don't want to be bummed out, right? This is not my goal in life. Um, I critique things because I love to critique and because it's I love fun. things. Um, it's just like, somebody's got to say it. <laughs> one we enjoy talking about it yeah it, it like literally does bring us joy to have these conversations yes. or else we wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing this just to, like kill ourselves right the point of me bringing this video up here is that Broy Deschanel discusses in the video that while it might be quote-unquote for kids it's really an attempt to revitalize the Barbie brand and oh boy did it fucking succeed I wish I I would like to see the statistics of who played with Barbie the kids that play with Barbie now versus kids with who how many people play with Barbie when we were kids yeah I'd be curious the stock price jumped like eight dollars oh a I, share. Would, I would imagine I would um, 100% imagine that's not surprising at all so let's talk a little bit about beauty standards um this is a quote from the rise and fall of dewy dumpling skin by jessica defino who, who is obviously not talking about barbie but she does have some great pieces on barbie um activists quoted the late odra lord caring for myself is not self-indulgence it is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare she said 
Beauty brand slyly swapped myself for my skin. Customers ate it up. Of course, Lord meant cling film when she preached about preservation because exfoliating is easier than engaging in political action. Woof. (laughs) Again, hate to be a buzzkill here, but this is so true of how we're being encouraged to respond to Barbie. Because of alt-right backlash, seeing Barbie, a blockbuster film by a struck company about one of the most popular toys in the world, became a political act. The marketing for this, for Barbie, is like top tier as someone in marketing. Like, they're smart because they couldn't use the actors, right? Mm -hmm. So they invited people like Matt Gates and his wife. No, they knew mm-hmm. that they would hate that, right? They mm-hmm. knew. But by doing that, they're hitting their target audience. Uh-huh. It's so smart. The right, so- <laughs> the right people hate it. Therefore, yes. I must love it. Exactly. And so thinking about this and all, I'm like, that was a brilliant mm-hmm. fucking manipulative move. I love it and I hate it. Yeah. Um, likely because it's a lot easier. Like the, the reason it becomes a political act is because it's a lot easier to go to the theater mm-hmm. to see a fun mov- movie than to, I don't know, show up to the local courthouse to protest anti-trans bills or to spend that $20 on an abortion fund or whatever. Not to tinfoil hat, but totally to tinfoil hat, it feels like Mattel almost counted on the intensity of this response to Barbie, because now buying Barbie, Barbie brand products, pink things, etc., is a political statement, a political statement aligning you with feminism. Now we know it's feminist to buy Barbies because look at the movie. Misogynists hate it. But that's not really how things work. Just because misogynists hate something doesn't mean that celebrating it is now feminist. Misogynists are joyless people. They hate a lot of things. Feminism isn't defined by misogynists. While you can certainly take feminist actions in opposition to misogyny and alt-right assholes, simply buying products they don't like really isn't it. I think it's interesting, too, to bring the conversation is that uh, Margaret Robbie and Greta Gerwig spent a long ass time attempting to get this movie made. Mm-hmm. They spent it was it was it wasn't like an automatic like, yeah, let's go. So what was said? Right. To make them make the movie. Yep. I would love to know what got left on the cutting room floor and you know? what was offered. Yeah. I would <laughs> love fucking, to know that fucking Hamilton song. <laughs> <laughs> How did the sausage get made? Um, A lot has been said about the diversity in the film, which, again, is good. It would be bad if this movie only included white, straight, cis, thin actresses as Barbies. But as always, I am hesitant to lavish praise upon it. This is a quote from Barbie Has Cellulite, But You Don't Have To by Jessica DeFino. It's clear that writer-director Greta Gerwig aims to subvert much of what the Mattel toy symbolizes in American culture, conformity, compliance, the objectification of women and girls. The issue, as it was with Don't Worry Darling and Blonde, is that you cannot subvert the politics of Barbie while preserving the beauty standards of Barbie. Barney. The beauty standards are the politics, or at least part of them. And yes, sure, Gerwig's cast is diverse, but it's diverse in the seemingly expansive but ultimately narrow way of modern industry marketing, which embraces everybody as a means to position everybody as needing correction. White skin and brown skin, but always clear skin. Cis bodies and trans bodies, but always hairless bodies. Red lips and bare lips, but always full lips. Parting to reveal perfectly straight, perfectly white teeth. Younger actresses and older actresses, but always eerily ageless actresses. Or always eerily young. Mm-hmm. That The hairless young. Freaky. Yeah. 
Despite the fact that the movie does feature older women with wrinkles, I don't think DeFino's point here is invalidated. You can't have a movie about Barbie without Barbie's beauty standards because it wouldn't be recognizable as Barbie. So no matter how much they try to subvert it, they are still playing into the glorification of those beauty standards, especially because despite the fact that the movie is about personhood and defying expectations and the impossibility of being a woman, there's still so much attention paid to physical beauty. You're beautiful is a nice thing to say to an old lady, but why is beauty the standard we hold each other to? Like, I know she doesn't know the woman and can't make any claims about like her personality or her intelligence or whatever. And really, the moment is about Barbie's apparent naivety because old women don't fit beauty standards. But if that's the case, why do the Barbies ostracize weird Barbie? Why is Gloria so fixated on Barbie's physical beauty that she finds it baffling that she still experiences insecurity? Especially because isn't Gloria herself to some degree responsible for the insecurity given that she's the one that designed Thoughts of Death Barbie? I reading through this, I just and I pointed this out when we re, we 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 rewatched it, and my note is in all caps, and I'll read it exactly how I put it. Why do fat Barbies not get to wear swimsuits that don't include shorts? Why are their bodies always covered up? Right. Like, it made me so angry. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know who chose their costumes. Maybe they had input on their costumes and they wore what was appealing to them. But at the same time, like, why? It really frustrates me because the more I think about it is what, okay, what's not showing? Fat, right? Uh-huh. And cellulite. Uh-huh. Cellulite seen as like the enemy. The cellulite thing I came out and like, I really don't know how I feel about this, but as we go more, I don't think it was useful. No. I don't think it sucks. It was useful. Frankly. I don't think it got across what I've already established, I'll, I've already established myself as the buzzkill here. I yeah. think it fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, and I think like looking at whose bodies we get to really see shows that mm-hmm. because fat women tend to have more cellulite, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to see that, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I'm not saying you don't want to, but sure. Culturally. But they're, you know, they can't use the cellulite thing and then turn around and hide cellulite on pe- real women's yes. bodies. Yes. It didn't work for me. And when I rewatched it, I was very frustrated. Like, I specifically was looking to see what outfits the fat Barbies were wearing. Mm-hmm. And they were always covered up. Mm-hmm. They often had long sleeves. They, they often, if they were going to be at the beach, they're wearing shorts. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, This is another quote from the same article, Barbie has cellulite, but you don't have to by Jessica DeFino. Barbie could have played with this idea. Instead, it plays with its audience. Accept your imperfections, it yells in its make-believe world. Now reject them, it counters in the real one. Meditate on death, the product proposes. Obliterate all superficial signs of mortality, its products argue. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't have to. In the hands of Barbie's, Barbie's marketing department, viewers are but Barbie dolls, products being smashed into products. As DeFino points out in this article, the movie is about the feeling of impossibility that is being a woman. It points out horrible beauty standards. Margot Robbie is inarguably a beautiful woman, and she has cellulite because cellulite is a natural thing that occurs in some women's bodies. It's supposed to be funny that she freaks out about it because it's normal and because she's Margot fucking Robbie, why should she be worried about cellulite? Ha ha ha. Except then Mattel turns around and partners with beauty brands that sell creams to tighten and firm and smooth skin that are just fucking creams to get rid of cellulite, rebranded as self-care. I think that the exact word in the in the um, description is plump. Yeah. 
um, which means all those things. Mm-hmm. Also, I <laughs> my note in here, I, I linked to it for Missy to look at. And I said, LOL, look at the tags because the t- one of the tags is anti-aging. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <sighs> this movie pokes fun at the idea that cellulite is bad, then turns around and sells you cream that tells you actually it is bad and you should get rid of it. But it's pink and it's fluffy and uh-huh. it so- smells good on your skin. Yep. And it's all about self-care. Yeah, it has collagen. It's all about self-care. Again, the, the, it's not that I'm telling you you can't use this product. What I'm saying is that the movie is suggesting that by erasing the signs of cellulite that we are liberating ourselves. We are not. We are playing right into it. That's not to say you can't yeah. do it. That's not to say you shouldn't do it. Just don't ve- don't view this as liberation. We are still falling victim to these beauty standards. One, well, Barbie gets rid of the cellulite. Right. That's for me is where why I felt like suddenly like, oh, wait, I don't know if this is working for me, like how they think, because mm. cellulite isn't something you can get we rid of. We never see that cellulite again. Yeah. You can't get rid of cellulite. Like, it's you just can, a part of your body. You can work out and like get muscle and it'll like, you know, stretch out from, from your and you might see less. But that doesn't it's it's, it's a genetic thing that happens. Yeah. Um, every woman, most women have it. Yes. Um, so the fact that it went away didn't work. Right. <laughs> Um, again, I'm not saying Gerwig is evilly rubbing her hands together and saying, ha ha, I have contributed to the furthering of absurd beauty standards and convinced women to buy products to make themselves look like ageless 20 somethings. But she very famously said in the promotion for this movie that she was both doing the thing and subverting the thing, which how subversive can you be if you're still doing the thing, right? The movie is still very much selling me beauty standards and ideals about femininity and doing very little to challenge them, which is not a crime in and of itself. That's just Hollywood filmmaking, right? It's the subverting claim that frustrates me. If you want to subvert the thing, make something akin to the people's joker. You know, you can, re- I'm not going to talk about the people's joker, but you could read about the people's joker, jo- jerker. <laughs> That's a different movie. The people's joker, <laughs> the people's joker is a subversive act, right? That's not what Barbie is. Um, we have the final section here, which I have titled Women Be Shopping. Um, this is a quote from The Plastic Feminism of Barbie by Verily Bitchy. Uh, what made Barbie the young woman of the modern world wasn't some noble feminist goal. It was her relationship to consumption. Indulgent spending was the aspiration of the day, and Barbie helped teach girls to associate adulthood with carefree consumption. So this video looks way back, this section in particular, looks way back in Barbie's history to when she was purely a fashion model and the primary draw of the doll was to buy new clothes so way back in history the 1900s um teenager wasn't a category and women didn't really have their own money to spend because they were their husband's property way long ago in the 1900s um but eventually businesses realized that marketing to children and to women was valuable right as verily bitchy points out in their video barbie may have been created to provide young girls with an alternative way to play besides being a mother. But all those outfits were to encourage them to spend more money. Yes, it might have helped them dream differently, but the point is to make money. Womanhood in this way becomes defined by buying things. And hey, look at the Barbie movie's many partnerships with brands. I think there was a missed opportunity to have weird fucking partnerships. Right. Um. So I was trying, I was like, this would be so funny if, and I'm like, what partnership would be really weird, but like super accurate. And I remembered a commercial. Um, I looked it up. It's for the Dollar Shave Club or whatever, mm-hmm. where a woman goes to use a razor and she's shaving everywhere mm-hmm. and it clearly has 
pubic hair on the razor that mm-hmm. she leaves. And then the man goes to use it to, to uh, shave his face. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, that would have been hilarious to, to partner with. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think that they missed an opportunity to partner with weird shit. Yeah. When they partnered with typical stuff, mm-hmm. it's fun and cool. I, great, wonderful. But, but imagine if they partnered with some weird shit. <laughs> it would have been more of the subverse and not like pushing weird Barbie onto that part, right? Right. But just Barbie tells you, buy the same razors as dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barbie says, put your pubic hair on everything. <laughs> Um, this video also talks about the very cynical connection between Mattel's more progressive movements with the doll and dips in profit. Like, you can look at this. Um, yes, you know, adding quote unquote more body types. Uh huh. Sure. Adding more body types could reflect changing attitudes. But it's also about money, right? It's also about remaining relevant. Yeah. And if you, so if you go look at a lot of the media that Barbie is producing right now, like the, the product Barbie, uh-huh. so TikTok and things like that, they're very what, what a lot of people would call progressive. Some right. people call them liberal, whatever you want to call Woke. it. I don't think, I, and like for me, I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. But I don't think they're not targeting who they think they're targeting because the younger audience knows when they're being marketed to like that's mm-hmm. a huge issue that a lot of people are having with like marketing products like th- like younger people know when they're being marketed to mm-hmm. um and that's clearly kind of what barbie's doing i mean barbie's been through many things and i think it's attracting the person wrong crowd mm-hmm. like i'm not gonna go out and buy a barbie doll but i fucking i love that i follow barbie on tiktok right mm-hmm. so I, I, well the thing is mary you're pregnant that is true with the girl and if you don't question how they're marketing you can now see mattel as a progressive brand you hold the buying powder power powder, powder. <laughs> you hold the buying power power for your future daughter right so if you're looking at toys and you're like well Mattel had that movie and it was really progressive. Yeah. And look at their TikTok. It's really progressive. That's true. So I feel good about buying my that daughter is a true. Barbie doll. That is true. I do think a lot about when I was in early college and I had a, I don't know, it was like an anthropology class and the teacher, I, w- I should look up this study because I just took her at face value. <laughs> um, she fucking hated Barbie. Mm-hmm. She had Barbie's heads on stakes in her office. <laughs> she fucking hated Barbie and she would go on rants about Barbie and I was like this is weird but she talked about uh, what did Barbie do to you yeah. she talked about I don't know if it's a, I guess it's a study but uh, they went to a, a a village in somewhere that's not like that doesn't have like a TV connection right mm-hmm. and they what I don't what you would call like um, what's it called when you're not connected to traditional or like advanced society Probably somewhere in the global south. Yeah, somewhere like that, where they and, and somebody brought Barbies there, and within a very short amount of time, the the girls there started becoming insecure about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. I should look it up to see if there's more context to mm-hmm. it because she really fucking hated Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think about that. But yeah, I think that's a really good point because I hold the buying power. power. But at the same time, like. If my kid doesn't want it, if she's like, this is fucking dumb. Well, I mean, it's going to depend on the age. Yeah, that's right? true. Kids don't. I mean, kids are like cats. They'll play with boxes if that's what they have um, up to a certain age. But like when you like they're selling it to you until your kid develops independent taste. Mm-hmm. 
And if they can get you early, independent taste has no relevancy Mm -hmm. because they already have the Barbies, right? They've been playing with the Barbies. They know the Barbies. They trust the Barbies. They love the Barbies. I'm just going to hand my kid the Barbie and some scissors. (laughs) Go wild, kid. Yeah. Um. This is another quote here from The Plastic Feminism of Barbie by Fairly Bitchy. Uh, The way in which the film highlights feminist issues is what makes it so appealing to a modern audience. Because the fact is, we love to feel like we can shop our way through social change, that our purchases will make a difference. And Mattel knows it. Again, this returns to the idea that it is easier to what Jessica Defino that is easier to do what Jessica Defino said in her piece. Uh, exfoliating is easier than engaging in political action. It is easier to see the Barbie movie than to engage in political action, and the movie is made in such a way and marketed and backlashed at that it is now conflated with political action itself. Right? Cannot buy yourself. What do you usually say? It's- we can't consume our way into morality. Yes. Like it's the same thing to me. Um, further in the video, Verily Bitchy points out that Mattel is not invested in the lives of real women. Uh, this video con- covers their ridiculous low contributions to education for girls that they nonetheless market themselves on, as well as the horrific conditions the women who make Barbies endure at work. But the movie's so empowering, right? But we cannot praise Mattel for this. We cannot let ourselves be fooled by the veneer of progressiveness, especially the defanging of the Mattel executives, who are painted as a bunch of buffoons when they want to sell us products. The people who run Mattel are content to pay female workers in uh, impoverished nations wages next to nothing and let them live in squalid conditions. But they gave us pretty a pretty and pink celebration of femininity, right? We cannot let that go. They are not progressive. They just want us to shop. I mean, and that's true for a lot of toys. It's oh, like, absolutely. There's a documentary on, I think it's on Netflix that talks about, um, I think it's Transformers. I don't know. It's some, one of the cartoons and it could be really any cartoon from, from the eighties of, and even Star Wars. They were made, the cartoons were made to sell the toys came first. Yes. Let's just, the toys came first and the marketing was the, was the cartoon. Right. Is this Gerwig's fault? Well. Gerwig doesn't run Mattel, right? That we know of. (laughs) She's making a movie, and she's making a movie similar to the other movies that she's made, and that's fine. But again, it is really hard for me to praise the effort as anything more than making a movie when it's tied to a brand that exploits women on every level, right? That doesn't mean Gerwig is banned from feminism forever. It just means that I cannot praise this outing for feminism. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that Gerwig is a bad person. I don't know her. I don't think that she's a bad feminist. I don't know her. All I know is that I am unwilling to praise this movie for its for its feminism when Mattel, the brand, is using it to continue to oppress and exploit women around the world. I think it's tempting to to praise it because we, like I said earlier, like it's spoon-fed and we don't get that a lot. Yeah. So people want to say, but look, it's it's just shouting this at us. Like, like that feels good. That feels validating. That's it's getting a lot of people of all spectrums to see this. So I think there's that that like want to say to protect the movie. Yes. Um Barbie's going to be okay. <laughs> what is that by design? Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really important to, to, it's just, just like it's important to look at sort, like sources, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's important to look at how this movie, like how the movie was made. Why was it made? What was it made for? Yeah. What, what was it made for? Um, this next quote from from the Feeling Cynical About Barbie video by Broy Deschanel. I don't have anything to add to this. She just really hit the nail on the head for me. 
Fritz is yelling. Um, she says, a corporate product to me is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Barbie is wearing the clothes of artful cinema, putting on an edgelord voice and hitting all the t- <laughs> My dog won't stop barking. I'm sorry if you can I'm hear sure it. you can't hear it. Uh, and hitting all the talking points so we have nothing left about it to criticize and everything left to buy. In fact, it's disguised so well that Barbie itself has become feminism, become progress in the industry, so that now when you critique it, you're not a feminist, you don't believe in the future of cinema, you're a contrarian. And that is how I feel. I'm not here to hate on Barbie. I just want us to be engaging with this movie outside of how the movie wants us to engage with it. It is important to know that there are currently 50 Mattel movies based off of toys Mm -hmm. in the works, including movies I will 100% be going to see, like Jordan Peele's Barney. (laughs) I don't think it actually is Jordan Peele. It's starring Daniel Kaluuya, but I I haven't heard anything about Jordan Peele actually being attached to it. I think it's supposed to be in the style of a Jordan Uh. Peele movie, but not necessarily that he's doing it. Um, the last quote I have here is from Caitlin Clark in Everything Was Pink and Nothing Hurt on Barbie, Pinky Doll, and the Dialectics of Feminist Pop Culture. And Clark writes, By personifying the product of a Barbie doll into a character whose distinctly human thoughts and feelings we empathize with, do you guys ever think about dying? We quietly take a step further from recognizing the social relations between human beings that produce Barbie dolls in wildly inhumane sweatshop conditions, and one step closer to viewing Barbie as a sort of mythical figure with her own intrinsic value. Y'all, it feels mean to critique Barbie, because now Barbie is a person. Every time I critique it, I am being mean to Barbie. But Barbie is representative of a brand, a thing being sold to me. I think we can recognize that Barbie, the idea, the figure, the body, the role model, can mean a lot of things to a lot of people and also be emblematic of some of the worst features of capitalism, like exploitation, wastefulness, and so on. It can be an oppressive tool. It can also be liberating. It can be uh, inspiring. But it can also be bad. It's it's actually possible for things to be good and bad yeah. at the same time. Um. Anyway, if that wasn't a downer enough for you, join us next time as I boldly ask, but what about men, though? Um, do you have anything else to say about Barbie? Um, I mean... I mean, we have a whole other episode. I want to say that if you got this far... How long is this? So what are we at? Two and a half hours. Oh, uh, you know what? I thought we were Shout out three. to you. <laughs> You're stronger than the Marines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, because it, this wasn't... A, this is a dense conversation to get through about something that a lot of people really like. Um, and some people I think will have to challenge their own thoughts like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good for you. And wow, you've seriously made it this far. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not telling you not to like movie Barbie. Enjoy the movie Barbie. Chase your bliss. Follow your heart. The, the real Barbie was the friends we made along the way. Um, I just, I think it's good to ask questions of things like this. And I'll talk about this more in the next episode, but I think a really fundamental thing I want to know myself and to have other people take away is that it's great that this movie makes us feel good. Is the purpose of feminism to make us feel good? Yeah, for I me, don't think so. Coming out of it made me think more. So I think it'll, it might depend on. Um, obviously, it made me feel good because I laughed a lot, but I came mm-hmm. out itching to have conversations. Thinking, I was thinking, thinky thoughts. I was so excited. I couldn't. I was. I didn't drive with you guys because I came from. I was like, oh, we won't be able to have a conversation in the car about this. Like, <laughs> I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that's it for this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, you can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes. If you like this one, I suggest all the ones we mentioned, which include the Venom episode, which is weird, uh, The Matrix, Last The Last Unicorn, Unicorn Spice World, um, all of those have relevance. If you're looking for one of our old episodes and you can't find it, I am sorry. It is hard to run a website. I will work on getting those back up. Um Thank you to Emily June, who's helped out with our episode transcriptions. If you want to talk more about stuff like this, um, you can join our Discord. Uh, just send me an email at contact at fakeygirlscast.com, and I can send you a link to invite you. It's it's totally open. It's just that I don't post the link publicly so that we I don't have to do hardcore moderation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially like this one. Like I feel like if we put the just like contact us for the discord link at the beginning we'd have a lot of people coming in and being rude but if you got through all of this yeah if you made it this far you're part of the exclusive club you are um next time we're gonna talk about ken (laughs) just ken (laughs) just ken um i have a lot to say about ken and masculinity and i also want to talk about existentialism because we didn't really get that we had fucking enough um so we'll talk about existentialism (laughs) and that kind of stuff in our next episode after that, things get a little murky because that's going to be our December episode. And then Mary's due in January. Yeah. And that's if I last that long. So I'm due January 20th. But uh, I think 38 weeks it can happen at any time. So beginning of January. Yeah. So we don't know. We don't know what things are going to look like. You will find out along with us. Yeah. So that's Who knows? that. Maybe I'm like, get me the fuck out of here for two hours. Yeah. We do, we just don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so I'm not sure what our next episode after Ken is going to be, only because we don't know who's going to be hosting that episode. <laughs> um, I will keep you up to date um, on social media as long as I remember. Um, our newsletter, uh, which you can sign up for at our website. It's good newsletter. And our Discord. Um, or you can just be like can't wait to find out what the next surprise is gonna be yeah um but that's it for this episode all right bye barbie (laughs) i can't i can't (laughs) bye barbie catch you on the flip side barbie (laughs) (laughs) 